Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Tony Khan running his promotion better than Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard are running Monday night and Friday night. Long-term booking. Thank you so very much for joining me right here on Off the Script. This is episode 433 for your June 12th, 2022. I am your host, JD, from New York. As always, coming to you live from the OTS venue. Thank you guys so very much for joining me on your Sunday evenings, wherever you may be, man. We got a lot to get into tonight, man. Just a little bit. I just detailed a little bit of what we're going to go over on my ride into the OTS venue in the intro. A lot of news, man. A lot of news. So if you guys are uh, just settling on in, man, make sure those beverages are cold because we'll be here for at least a couple of hours. And I appreciate you guys joining me on your Sunday nights to end your busy work weeks. Follow me on social media. At JD from NY206, that's Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you guys hit that subscribe button down below and turn on the bell for all notifications, man. I am very, very pleased with the growth of the channel as of late. We're pumping out the content. We're getting the, the news and opinions out there. I love to see it, man. I love to see it. So make sure you guys continue to hit that subscribe button. And please, man, spread the word. Spread the word of off the script. Word of mouth is also a great way to show some support, man. If you guys have friends that are into pro wrestling or if you had a pro wrestling show and you get 
It's a conversation with somebody about pro wrestling and who you listen to, man, who your favorite creators are in the community, what your favorite wrestling podcasts are. Make sure Off the Scripts is in everybody's ears, man. So I appreciate you guys very, very much. We got a lot of content on the channel. A lot of extras this week. Live streams, as usual. Go check all that stuff out. It's on the homepage right now as you see it. So if you missed any of that stuff, go and check all of that out if you need more content on the channel. We will once again be live tomorrow night for Monday Night Raw. WWE is already hyping up Money in the Bank. Possible qualifiers for tomorrow's show. I would hope so. Since we saw Money in the Bank qualifiers on Friday night. On Friday Night SmackDown. What's next for Seth Rollins? Should be an interesting show to say the least. So I will be live once again tomorrow night. So make sure you guys RSVP as usual. To what we do here every Monday night live. On Off the Scripts. I will be heading to Chicago for Forbidden Door. Have a venue already planned out for the VIP meetup. I will be announcing that tomorrow. So make sure you guys keep a close eye on Twitter, man. I will be unveiling the beautiful place that we'll all be congregating at right before Forbidden Door. I will be there as part of AEW's media. It's going to be a great time, man. I can't wait to see what will be a very historic weekend for All Elite Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Make sure you guys get those Super Chats in, man. Get them on in. It's been a rough weekend, man. I could use your support. Get them on in, and we'll hang out with our cold beverages at the end of the show. We already got two new members in the venue. I appreciate you guys very, very much. I want to welcome Matthew Miller and Vincent O'Connell to the VIP club. You guys are awesome. You guys get access to those emotes. And you guys get access to those badges next to your name to show off your VIP status. So make sure you guys go and hit that up, man. I appreciate you guys very, very much for all that stuff. Also, go get your t-shirts. Bonfire.com is the place. Bonfire. For the new IWC King, the dawn of the IWC t-shirt now available, man. I appreciate you guys. Continuing to hit up Bonfire. What a great design that was. My boy Salrex helped me put that one together in Bonfire. Prettied it up. Got it ready for sale. So go pick that up today. And make sure you guys check out today's sponsor, man. Audible. Audible's got one hell of a deal coming for you. Because Audible is going to be the place for John Moxley's autobiography now in audio format his autobiography entitled mox has been out for a little bit but you guys can get it for free if you guys want to listen to john moxley himself narrate the entire thing man over nine hours of content and there is content in there where he completely blasts kevin dunn man so i know you guys saw that little excerpt floating around on social media when the autobiography came out who doesn't like a good Kevin Dunn roasting? I know I do, man. Anybody hungry for uh, beaver meat? No? How the fuck does beaver taste, Jesse? A little salt and pepper, maybe a little hot sauce? I don't know. Go pick that up, man. Tuesday it comes out. Audible, you guys can pre-order it. You guys can pre-order it on Audible. AudibleTrial.com slash scripts. Go and show us some support, man. You guys get it for free and 30 days of their service. So make sure you guys pick up John Mox's autobiography. If you don't have it, 
or if you just want the autobiography and on top of you already owning the hardcover copy, go pick that up today, audibletrial.com slash scripts. Yes, it's U.S. only, guys. I'm sorry. I believe it is, yes. I'm sorry for all my U.K. fans out there, man. I'll make it up to you. I'll make it up to you. Don't worry. Let's get into the news, guys. I got a lot to get into. I don't want to waste any more of your time. Let's start at the top here. I want to start with the New Japan Pro Wrestling and AEW Forbidden Door stuff. A lot happened last night or this morning to uh, the Forbidden Door and the pay-per-view that we'll be getting on June 26th in Chicago at the United Center. Hiroshi Tanahashi has officially punched his ticket to the Forbidden Door. He advances to the finals of the AEW Interim World Championship Eliminator Series at the Forbidden Door. He will go one-on-one with John Moxley to crown a new AEW champion. CM Punk, by the way, if you guys do not know, he is still the AEW champion. This is an interim championship. Nobody knows how long CM Punk is going to be out. Uh, normally, I would have criticized Tony Khan on this, but I do think that this is the right decision for the world title. Uh, all the other situations that we've seen where he did an interim championship didn't really need to happen. That one little interim championship stint that he did with Cody Rhodes being out a week because he had COVID complications didn't really make any sense whatsoever. CM Punk will probably be out longer than the four to six week grace period for broken foots. There may be some setbacks. It may have been worse than what we have uh, really heard about. So a world champion on TV in the interim process is the right way to go for Tony Khan. But it will be Hiroshi Tanahashi and John Moxley for the AEW Championship at Forbidden Door. Now, this match should have been uh, the match planned from the get-go, but it's weird how things work themselves out, and now we're getting it with a little bit more uh I guess, stakes on the line. The uh, prestige of this match has been amped up incredibly uh, since CM Punk went down with injury. Uh, there was a back-and-forth match here with Hiroshi, uh, or Hiroki Goto with Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, there was um, a spot where he landed a crossbody and the high-fly high float to win the match, uh, and he won it with his finishing move. And like I said, he punched his ticket to the Forbidden Door uh, in Chicago. Everybody was wondering why John Moxley was already in the finals of this thing, and they blasted Tony Khan on social media for it. Before we even got the match with Kyle O'Reilly, Tony Khan put out a statement and pointed out that Moxley is the current number one ranked singles wrestler in the company, excluding all of AEW's champions. Tony Khan did add as well, noting that Moxley is undefeated in singles bouts on TV and on pay-per-view in the year of 2022. Uh, apparently, there was a situation where Anthony Agogo uh, was undefeated as well, I guess working on Dark, which, I mean, I don't really give a shit about Dark, and I don't think your wins on Dark should really factor into anything on Dynamite, but that's another discussion for a different day. Khan explained that Moxley is currently ranked higher than Anthony Agogo, why he would be in discussion to begin with, I don't know, and that was simply because of the quality of his, of his opponents. Now, when a fan asked why Wardlow didn't receive a bye, Despite having more singles victories in 2022 over Moxley, Khan noted that Wardlow isn't undefeated in 2022 singles competition. Wardlow actually came out on Wednesday's Dynamite and said that he wasn't in the Battle Royal because he didn't want to pin anyone but CM Punk to win the World Championship. 
And he has his eyes on the TNT Championship and Scorpio Sky. So he wants to target that one first, but he's going to keep a close eye on when CM Punk comes back full-time to AEW. That didn't really make sense to me. I didn't really like that. That needed to be said because it's almost making it seem as if whoever wins the interim championship is not going to be as important as CM Punk. And you don't want, or you don't really want to put off that vibe to the fans claiming that whoever wins, if it's Tanahashi or John Moxley, they're less than CM Punk and that Wardlow doesn't want to pin one of those guys instead of CM Punk. I, I don't understand that. I, I never understood why that, that, that needed to be said. And we discussed that, that on Wednesday. Like, you, you could go and pin Hiroshi Tanahashi. You could go and pin John Moxley and then go pin fucking CM Punk. It really doesn't matter as long as you're pinning CM Punk in the process to win the AEW championship as unified champion. I didn't like that at all. I did not like that at all. But we already have a main event. Forbidden Door has a main event announced. It is John Moxley versus Hiroshi Tanahashi for the interim AEW championship. Jay White, the other big discussion was what is Kazuchika Okada going to do with the IWGP heavyweight championship? Well, he isn't doing jack shit with it because he lost it to Jay White at the Dominion show. Jay White becomes the IWGP world heavyweight champion at Dominion at Osaka Hall. So he is the new champion And now a lot of discussion is being had as to what happens at the Forbidden Door. Do we get Jay White and Adam Page for the World Championship, being that Adam Page already challenged the IWGP champion then on Wednesday, Okada, and now the champion today, uh, as of right now, is Jay White. Do we get Adam Page versus Jay White? I mean, I could see it. I wouldn't complain about it whatsoever, but that is definitely one of the options. Do we get Adam Page versus Okada in a one-on-one match where neither guy, whoever loses, loses? So it's a little bit more open of a situation putting Okada on the Forbidden Door card against Adam Page. Neither of them are their respective brand's world champions, so I think that would be a nice little toss-up and a nice little unpredictable match to put on the Forbidden Door card. Where does Adam Cole fit into this thing? Do we get a triple threat match between Jay White Adam Page, and Adam Cole for the IWGP World Championship. Where does that leave Okada? I don't know. I don't know what Okada would be doing if he's not mixed in with these men who've already called his name out and want a piece of Okada at the Forbidden Door. Or what I would do, to be quite honest with you, I'd probably team Adam Page and Okada versus Jay White and Adam Cole That way, you don't need to put Jay White in a IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match against Adam Cole or Adam Page and have the match be somewhat predictable. You don't want to have him win the championship and then put him two weeks later in a championship match that is going to be very predictable and nobody watching these programs is going to think that Jay White is going to lose the IWGP World Championship so soon after he beat Okada at the Dominion Show. I think the tag team match is probably the best way to go about it. So you do Jay White and Adam Cole, who are buddies, and then you do Hangman and Okada, and you get one big, tremendous tag team match out of it, and you get a little bit of that pizza pie, and you spread that around with everybody. That's just what I do, so I don't know what you guys are thinking about that, but Jay White did become the new IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. 
Another news and note that came out of the Dominion show. Zack Sabre Jr. has apparently called out Brian Danielson ahead of the Forbidden Door. Now, Zack Sabre Jr. was a part of a tag team match, six-man tag team match, where he was unsuccessful in capturing the never-open-weight six-man tag team championship. In a post-match interview, Zack Sabre Jr. argued that the best current champions are useless before expressing a similar sentiment about New Japan Pro Wrestling's media team for cutting his Forbidden Door tease from the best of the Super Juniors' final broadcast. Issuing a more direct challenge, Zack Sabre Jr. directly called out Brian Danielson. No more time for subtlety. American Dragon, old Dragon bollocks. Can you take some time out of your golfing schedule with the Blackpool Country Club to find out who the best technical wrestler in the world is? Well, I'll tell you now, darling, it's fucking me. End quote. Kind of uh, very direct, if you ask me. And, I mean, I'm not going to complain if we get Zack Sabre Jr. and Brian Danielson at the fucking pay-per-view. I mean, that's a barn burner of a match that could very well go down as being match of the year. If you ask me, anybody in the ring with either one, either one of those guys could be a match of the year candidate. So, I, I'll tell you this, man. It's not my first choice for Brian Danielson. But seeing that New Japan management and Tony Khan obviously have other plans and ideas for Kazuchika Okada... I mean, I'm not going to complain about this whatsoever. I'm not a big Zack Sabre Jr. fan. I think his style is definitely not my cup of tea. But I do recognize pro wrestlers and how great they are. And he's fucking fantastic at what he does. His style is not going to appeal to everybody. His style is not going to appeal to everybody. I've had the pleasure of calling a couple of Zack Sabre Jr. matches inside House of Glory. Not my cup of tea. But I know Brian isn't everybody's cup of tea either. But if you guys get them in the ring together and you see that intensity coming out, you're going to get a little bit of everything, man. You're going to get a fucking street fight. You're going to get a little bit of a submission style. You're going to get everything that you've pretty much paid your money to see with Brian Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. So I have no fucking problems at all watching those two go at it. But it's happening, folks. It looks like it may be happening at the Forbidden Door. The last time that they wrestled was back in 2009. That's a long fucking time, man. And that was 2009. Imagine how good they are together and what they could create now in 2022. Forbidden Door shaping up to be one hell of a show, man. Moving on with the WWE news. Paige. I know a lot of people didn't really care about Paige being released by WWE or, or not really released, but her contract is coming to WWE is apparently not re-upping her contract, and they are allowing Paige to walk. Now, I know a lot of people probably didn't even realize that Paige was still with the company, but yes, WWE was paying her and not utilizing her, and she made a boatload of money by doing nothing and sitting on Twitch and having double stream of revenue, triple stream of revenues, come on into WWE from WWE and Twitch for herself. So, Paige is going to be a free agent come July 7th. And I talked about this on an OTS Extra that I did yesterday. And there are more news articles coming out about Paige and something that she said personally on her Twitch channel. Now, Paige is slated to become a free agent, like I said, on July 7th. She's a former Divas champion. And she announced this news on Friday on Twitter with a very lengthy statement, which reads as follows. Paige here. July 7th will be the last day with WWE. I'm so thankful, and I appreciate the opportunities that the company has given me. 
I will always be appreciative of the company that took an 18-year-old British pale emo girl that didn't look like your average. Oh, so she listens to the same music that Ryan Satin does. Go figure, man. Look at that. Ryan Satin and Paige have something in common. 18-year-old British pale emo girl that didn't look like your average diva giving me the chance of a lifetime and making me feel like a superstar. I know after my neck injury taking me out of in-ring status, it was pretty hard to keep around, keep me around for a long time, as you did, and I'm very thankful for that, too. Thank you to the WWE Universe. You guys are the most passionate group of fans I've ever seen. Hope you can continue to stay on this journey with me. I think the toughest part, weirdly enough, is having to let the page name go, but Soraya is a hell of a name. Kudos to my mom for that one. FYI, I'm not saying I'll never be in the ring. That day will most certainly come again, wherever the return may be, end quote. Now, she went on Twitch the very next day, and Paige opened up a little bit more about WWE deciding not to renew her contract. She started out by noting that she knew it was coming for a while. Getting the, hey, can I call you? I'm at SmackDown, though. I'm like, that leaves no room for negotiation. They're probably not going to renew my deal. Paige says she was very appreciative of WWE because they helped her a lot more than just wrestling as they got her a therapist while she was battling alcohol issues and kept paying her after even getting neck surgery. Paige says she feels like she had so much left to give as someone who can cut a promo and be in a manager role. It is what it is. I'm not leaving because I want to. They just don't want to re-sign my contract. I completely understand. There are no hard feelings. If you don't renew the contract, then I don't think there's any non-compete clause. And she's right. There is no non-compete. If she's going to be up on July 7th, she's free to go wherever she wants on July 7th. That's not what I was told on the phone. We're having a normal conversation, and it's like, so we're not going to renew your contract. I texted Vince McMahon, and he texted back. Everyone was very respectful about it. It's a bummer. They are keeping the door open. Both Vince and Johnny, learn this, said they'll keep the door open, but that's typically what they do because they say it about everybody. They said it about Kyrie Sane. They said it about AJ Lee. They said it about Paige. Yeah, the door's open for you to come back. It's typically what the company says when uh, they... Don't really have a problem with you, but they don't need you at this point in time. So they say they will keep the door open, but that's usually what the companies end up saying anyway. Paige noted that she does not have a non-compete clause, and if she does ever come back to the WWE, then that would make it much more special. She retired from in-ring action in 2017 due to spinal stenosis, but has teased returning to the ring if medically cleared. Paige added that she has not been medically cleared to wrestle again, but her neck feels good these days, and she said she's never felt better. She's felt the best that she's ever felt since the injury had first occurred. You know, a lot of people have spinal stenosis, man. Spinal stenosis is not really something to fuck with. Two, two names in particular that had spinal stenosis as of late, and I was worried about his career, but he ended up coming back, and he's still putting on fucking banger matches is Sheamus. Sheamus had a bout of spinal stenosis, and I didn't think Sheamus was ever going to really have a full-time run again in WWE. He He's come back, and honestly, if you guys want to talk about MVP, before WWE actually had their brand split draft back in October last year, Sheamus was the Monday Night Raw MVP just for the quality of matches that he had all up and down Monday Night Raw. 
He was tremendous and still is tremendous. In a singles role, Sheamus is fantastic, man. I don't, I don't know why anybody would ever doubt Sheamus. He can do anything in that ring and work any style, man. You look at him and say, yeah, Sheamus is a brawler, and that's all he knows. Sheamus can go in there and give you a great fucking match, man. He had spinal stenosis, and he's come back, and he's doing some tremendous fucking work in the later portion of his career. Sting. Sting had spinal stenosis. WWE was never going to allow Sting to wrestle in WWE, and I know he was a big topic of discussion about his spinal stenosis because all he did was advocate and want a match with The Undertaker, and WWE would never want to listen to anything that Steve Borden had to say. No, you're not getting in the ring and wrestling with us. We're not doing it. And I don't know how much of that had to do with the spinal stenosis as it much had to do with, oh, it's Sting. He's not really our creation. We don't want to give him preferential treatment over our WWE homegrown guys, even though he's a Hall of Famer. I wonder how much of that had to do with the spinal stenosis compared to, oh, it's Steve Borden. He's a WCW guy. I don't know. But WWE was never going to let Steve Borden wrestle with spinal stenosis. Never. So it took him to go sign with AEW, and Sting is jumping off fucking uh, mezzanines, and Sting is having matches. Sting had a cinematic match during the pandemic with Darby, Ricky Starks, and Brian Cage. That was tremendous. Sting is doing some great work, and a lot of people still wonder how long is he going to be able to keep that up. Nobody really even thought he'd be doing what he's doing now with the condition that he was in that WWE pretty much wrote off. Yeah, you're done. But he signed with AEW, and it was supposed to be, you know, obviously an advisor role and a managerial role for Darby Allen. But then he started to get that itch working with the younger talent. Hey, if they can still do it, I wonder if I can still do it. And I honestly believe Tony Khan and AEW have booked Sting in a brilliant way. He's not overexposed. He hasn't done anything that is downright scary. Uh, not Nothing like a Matt Hardy. And what has happened to Matt Hardy, or Jeff Hardy for that matter. But look at what AEW has done with Sting. Now, I don't know how serious Paige's spinal stenosis is, but I do think that she will be back in a pro wrestling ring whenever she decides to. I don't know how many doctors she's spoken to. Maybe she's not medically cleared to wrestle via WWE doctors. Maybe AEW doctors and maybe other doctors that she visits personally is going to give her the medically cleared sign to get back into the ring and do what she's got to do. You know, but for everybody that says, oh, I never thought Brian Danielson would wrestle again. I never I never thought I'd see Edge get in the ring. And look at what Sting is doing. Look at what happened to Sheamus. These are spinal stenosis injuries. Brian had concussions. Multiple, 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 multiple concussions over years of in-ring work with the style that he wrestled from Ring of Honor into his days in WWE, all of them came back and all of them are operating at great levels. Some, some levels that are unheard of. Brian's probably doing the best work of his life in AEW. And look at Edge. Look at what happened to Edge before he turned heel and kind of fucked up the momentum that he had. The matches he had put on, man, they were fucking tremendous with Randy Orton and Seth Rollins, and Roman Reigns, and Bryan at WrestleMania. If Paige is looking at that, I'm sure she's saying, well, if they could do it, why can't I? With the medical advancements that, that, that we have now, why can't I? She will be in a wrestling ring. She will be back in the United States wrestling, 
and she will be wrestling for AEW. That is my prediction. Paige is a huge, influential figure in women's professional wrestling. She basically was at the beginning stages of the women's revolution. When you want to talk about the women's revolution, you're going to talk about Paige. You're going to go back and reference Paige and what she was coming out of NXT. She was unlike anything we've seen before on the main roster with all the fucking divas that we had up there. She stood out amongst everybody just based on her look. And WWE took that and ran with it. And unfortunately, she got hurt. How much more influential would she have been if she didn't get hurt and has been out of the ring for five years? You don't think this woman still influential with the amount of fan respect and backing she has? You don't think this woman could have a career resurgence and take what she did back in the beginning stages of the women's revolution and do that for AEW? That would be tremendous. And what a fucking notch on her belt to do that not only in WWE, but AEW. I do think it's going to happen. I do think it's going to happen. She will be back in a wrestling ring, and it will be inside All Elite Wrestling. Speaking of Edge, Edge was not on board, and we talked about this earlier in the week. We did an extra on it on Tuesday. Edge was not on board with future plans for the Judgment Day stable. On Monday Night Raw, Edge was kicked out of the Judgment Day And many assumed it was a cover for an injury that may have happened the night before at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Now, the group had only formed a few weeks before this and have been teasing members up and down on social media. And then all of a sudden, they kicked their leader out. Edge was no longer a part of the group. There was also talk about kicking Edge out of Judgment Day that this was a reaction to Cody Rhodes' injury and WWE needed a babyface to take his place while he's rehabbing his injury. Now, it turns out that none of these are the reasons why Edge was booted out of the group, as Fightful reports that WWE wanted the Judgment Day to have supernatural elements, and Edge was opposed to that. Just a few weeks back, Edge, he really shit on the fans or criticized the fans who came at him and compared him to The Undertaker, who did have supernatural elements to his character. Fightful also reported that there was talk about the group taking the supernatural route, and Edge not being on board with that. And word emerged on Monday afternoon about a big shift happening with Finn Balor taking Edge's spot. Although word got out on the afternoon, the word about Balor joining the group came about a week prior, and things were already in motion for Balor to turn heel. However, at that point, there was no talk about Edge being removed from the group. Many of you might recall Edge had teased Balor amongst others, and also Paige, he teased, as possible additions to the group. He also teased Dominic Dijakovic as T-Bar. He teased Mustafa Ali. He teased Corey Graves. He teased Alexa Bliss. He wanted to throw the scent off of who the fans kind of narrowed it down to, and they made a big, big deal about it on social media. An additional report came out following the original story saying that the speculation about Edge and everyone guessing is exactly what Vince McMahon, Bruce Prichard, and Ed Kosky wants. They want everybody to talk about the Judgment Day. It was also specifically noted that they like the chatter. So they will leak out these rumors to anyone that will take these rumors and post them to increase the speculation. The company is trying to get as much attention on the Judgment Day as possible. Therefore, they think that chatter is good for the group. And that storyline. I don't really know why that 
is their mentality going into it. Yeah, people are going to be talking about it. And yes, either it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. I mean, any publicity is good publicity. Bad publicity is good publicity at the end of the day, right? As long as people are talking about you and what you're doing. But, but the thing is, the company is trying to get as much attention on the Judgment Day as possible. And I don't necessarily think that works in WWE's favor. They want people to be talking about them. They want people to talk about the group as if it's going to be good for the group. Yes, that's only one aspect of it. Now, you guys have to hold up your end of the bargain and write for the group creatively and treat them as a major deal on Monday night. Otherwise, all the chatter online is going to go from, oh, all this excitement about the potential of Judgment Day and all that, and it's going to go and turn into a negative. You don't want to hear bad things about the Judgment Day. We actually like Finn Balor. We actually like Damian Priest. We actually like... Rhea Ripley when she's not sounding like a fucking android reading off a goddamn teleprompter cutting a promo on Monday Night Raw. We all like the people involved here, but we don't understand why it needed to happen. The The entire process of Edge being kicked out of Judgment Day made zero sense from the beginning. Yeah, it was unpredictable. Yes, it's unlike WWE to really kind of flip the switch and give us something that we don't anticipate, right? But it never made any sense. Damien Priest said on the promo that he cut in that ring on Monday that they need to cut the excess baggage. And the reason why we aren't where we are is because of a certain something holding us back. What exactly is holding you back? And then he pointed to Edge. Edge, of all people, is holding Judgment Day back. Meanwhile, Judgment Day on Sunday, 24 hours before they kicked their leader out of the group, beat AJ Styles and Finn Balor and Liv Morgan in a six-person tag team match at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. They got a victory on Sunday night on pay-per-view, yet Damian Priest is out there on Monday claiming that Edge is the reason that they're not where they are and they need to cut loose baggage and Edge is holding them back. Who the fuck scripted that to be in the promo and for that to be said on Monday night? It's unbelievable to me how things like this just slip by people. It doesn't make any sense. All people are talking about is, oh my God, it's unpredictable. But nobody really is zeroing in on the fact that whatever the fuck was said on Monday didn't make a lick of sense. None of it made any sense. They just did it to be unpredictable. Now, here I was, and here everybody else was, giving WWE the benefit of the doubt. All the reason why they kicked Edge out of Judgment Day is because Cody, Go- Cody Rhodes went down with injury and they need a babyface and they're going to revert Edge back to being a babyface. Great. Great. I gave WWE like a fucking fool. Benefit of the doubt. Look at them making a level-headed decision. Then I see this report the very next day. Supernatural elements. Edge not being on board. This was an Edge creation. No wonder, he said, I don't want any part of it. And then WWE took the gimmick and the group into their own hands and kicked out Edge from Judgment Day. Now, I don't understand why people aren't talking about this and why the supernatural elements, oh, oh, it's just rumor and innuendo. I can't really trust or believe the dirt sheets. What is there not to trust? What is there not to trust? I mean, these are the same fucking people that had Damien fucking Priest go out there and sit in the middle of a fucking ring during a match with AJ Styles. The lights go out. He disappears. 
and the match ends in a fucking no contest. Where the fuck did he go? No explanation as to why he disappeared. That was legitimately weeks ago, and people are claiming to me, oh, let's see what happens with this story. I'm not going to believe it until I hear it from Edge's mouth. The fuck do you need to hear it from Edge for? Watch Monday Night Raw. You'll see everything happen right before your very eyes. These are the same fucking people that gave Bray Wyatt his fucking bullshit and gave it to Alexa Bliss. They had Alexa Bliss throwing fireballs as as if she was a fucking fiend herself. Throwing fireballs at Randy Orton, doing magic, and lighting fixtures falling down inside the Thunderdome. This is not right in WWE's wheelhouse. So what is there not to believe? Of course, Edge didn't want any part of it. Edge created the fucking group. Edge would have some sort of creative liberties over what he does and who he works for. This is not fucking something new. WWE wanted Edge to do something that he wasn't really keen on doing. And when he said no, he said, fuck this. And they booted him out of the group. It really says a lot about what WWE's creative is and how people like it. If the one guy in the company who is at right now, the the best talent that they fucking have on that brand at his age, if someone like that doesn't want to go along with what WWE is doing, what does that say about what WWE is doing? It is shit. It is complete and utter dog shit. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So now Finn Balor is leading the group with Rhea Ripley and Damian Priest. It was supposed to be Edge and his knowledge and his fucking teachings and his tutelage that we're going to get Damian Priest to the next level and Rhea Ripley to the next level. Now all you're going to get is Finn Balor not taking the group where it needs to go. It's going to be a shell of whatever the fuck it was. And the demon is going to go out there and do supernatural spooky things. People will bitch and moan about it on social media. And I'll be here on Monday telling you, I told you so. I told you so. The only thing that will happen with Finn Balor leading the Judgment Day is that this will accelerate the terminations of Finn Balor and Damian Priest on Monday Night Raw. That's all it will do. That's all it's going to do. You think this group is going to be successful on Monday Night Raw with their creative team uh, and, and Finn Balor leading the group? This was an edge concept. This was his idea. Now it's in WWE's hands. Can you imagine what the fuck they got planned for them on Monday Night Raw tomorrow? I don't want to know. Now, granted, the fucking gimmick wasn't getting over. It was lukewarm. The promos by Edge. I mean, Edge is a great promo no matter how you cut it. If you think it sucks, it's probably very good. And you say it sucks because it's not up to the level that we know Edge to deliver a promo. 
But at the end of the day, the gimmick did not stick. It did not resonate with the audience. They got the aesthetics of the group right. They got the look of the group right. They got the lighting right. They got the vibe right. They got the music right. How the fuck can't you be pleased with Alter Bridge? The other side is your fucking theme music. I mean, give me a break. But this is doomed to fail. This is doomed to fail. Nobody was really believing in it with Edge leading the group. And then, then they want to have him have supernatural powers to kind of fucking get people interested. Fuck this shit. Fuck it. WWE, man. Judgment Day is already on the decline. And we haven't even seen them one week without Edge as their leader. I can't wait to see the bullshit that WWE gives Finn Balor and the Demon to do on Monday. Switching gears here, man. Let's talk about Cody Rhodes. And the leaking of Cody Rhodes' injury going into Hell in a Cell. It wasn't until the pre-show of Sunday's WWE Hell in a Cell event that WWE confirmed Cody Rhodes was injured. But word got out about his injury hours before the announcement. Dave Meltzer was the first to report that Rhodes was injured with a torn pec following Rhodes being replaced by Drew McIntyre at Saturday's house show in the main event. After a triple threat match, Rhodes came out to chase Rollins around the ring and to the back. Because of the pec being completely torn off the bone, Rhodes insisted on going through with the Hell in a Cell match as, as he wouldn't have caused any further damage to the muscle since it was already torn off the bone. It doesn't make it right. The fact that it was completely torn off the bone, it still doesn't make it right. I went over this all week. It still made him and WWE a liability because... Realistically, the man wrestled with one fucking arm for 25 minutes. And that's not something anybody wants to see and wants to see ever again. At the start of the latest Fightful Backstage report, Sean Ross Sapp noted that WWE was surprised that word of his injury got out when it did. The reason for that is due to only a certain number of people knowing about it. He says, and I quote, As we reported on Fightful Select this morning, those close to him claim that Cody is set for surgery on Thursday, which this was this past Thursday. Brandy Rhodes tweeted out that Cody Rhodes is already on the, on the road to recovery. Now, anything can happen, obviously, but I seriously doubt that he's going to blow off surgery. He's going to address that on Raw, which he did. I can tell you that people in WWE and near Cody were very surprised that his word or that this word emerged when it did. I mean, when he missed the show and couldn't wrestle, there were obviously things going to be said and that were, uh, obviously, this was going to lead people to be poking around, asking what was going on. I'm not sure why they were surprised. From what I understand, less than 10 people knew about it. As I indicated to them, one person tells two, two, two people tells four, and so on. And pretty soon, a guy like me or Meltzer will inevitably know about it. So WWE, you know, they don't like things like that leaking out and they like things like that to be expressed first and foremost by them. And then when everybody started talking about it, WWE had no fucking, no uh, way around it. They needed to tell everybody that Cody Rhodes was injured. It makes me wonder if WWE was even going to tell people if Cody Rhodes was injured or not. And they would have allowed him to go out there and have the fucking torn peck and not anybody know about it beforehand. I don't know. I don't know why they are surprised that it leaked out. It's fucking 2022, man. Nothing is hidden at all. It's very difficult to keep things like this 
under wraps when it's something to do with a major main event happening on a pay-per-view and the guy is injured legitimately 48 hours before he's got to go into the main event with Seth Rollins inside Hell in a Cell. So it makes me wonder if WWE was even going to tell anybody about Cody Rhodes being injured on the pre-show and if they were going to allow him to go out there and we were first going to see what had happened when he took his jacket off. I don't know. I don't know. But the backstage reaction to Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins, this was reported by WrestleVotes. They noted that Rhodes and Rollins were highly praised for the quality of their match, amongst others backstage, especially with the obstacle of Rhodes' injury. WrestleVotes said, and I quote, I've had multiple sources reach out with exemplary words for the performance of Cody Rhodes at Hell in a Cell. Credit to Rollins as well. Those at Gorilla were said to have loved the match, a modern-day all-time classic inside Hell in a Cell, and WWE will treat it as such moving forward. And they will definitely treat it as such moving forward because WWE reportedly has filmed documentary footage for Cody Rhodes and his injury before and obviously will be filming after the surgery, which I'm assuming has already happened and will continue to happen on his road to recovery. So according to a report from Fightful Select, WWE filmed content and performed interviews for an eventual documentary on his injury. Rose's injury is simply a major blow to the WWE, as everybody is very well aware of. Everything regarding his return has been a massive success up until this point, and it was quite obvious that the company had very special plans for him. 37 years old is Cody Rhodes. He's yet to lose a match in his second WWE stint. He's already staked claim at the WWE Championship, wanting to win the world title, the same title that his father never won for himself. Now, Dave Meltzer, and this is where it gets interesting. Dave Meltzer is reporting in the latest edition of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. This is a subscription service required for this article. Rhodes is the most likely opponent for Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 39 if, if Dwayne Johnson doesn't compete at the WrestleMania 39 show in Los Angeles. If Rhodes is out of action for nine months, that means he wouldn't be back until Royal Rumble 2023. And I don't think that's going to happen. Rhodes is not going to be out for nine months. Rhodes will be back in five to six months. Rhodes will get back. He will be back for the Royal Rumble. Uh, I don't think WWE, even though he should be ready to go by five or six months, I don't think WWE would be right to bring Cody Rhodes back unless it happens only at the Royal Rumble. Number 30, he comes out. And Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes are number, uh, the last two, the last two guys in the ring. Rhodes being number uh, 30 and Seth Rollins being in there for a substantial amount of time up until then. And you lead to the monumental clash where Rhodes throws out Rollins over the top rope and he goes on to WrestleMania. Now, there's nothing replacing Cody Rhodes on Monday Night Raw. And WWE, that's their fucking fault. We all know that. Uh, this is going to be a lengthy, a lengthy a- absence for Cody Rhodes. Uh, five, six months is a very long time, and Monday Night Raw is without a world champion right now. So without a world champion on Monday Night and now without Cody Rhodes, Monday Night Raw is kind of looking a little dismal. So this is going to be a very interesting situation. How do we get, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this right now, man. If you're asking me which match I would rather see, 
I don't care about The Rock and Roman Reigns right now, especially with Cody Rhodes being back. The Rock and Roman Reigns doesn't need a world championship attached to it. Yes, it's a WrestleMania match. I'm assuming WWE wants to get the match done. I know The Rock has teased it. Roman has teased it. I mean, if WWE wants to do the match, I know The Rock isn't getting any younger, but who knows what The Rock's schedule is? This has been a topic of discussion every fucking year. Oh, is Dwayne coming back? Are we going to do Roman versus The Rock this year? Is his schedule free? How many movies does he got coming up? This year, he's got the XFL he's got to worry about. The guy is always doing something. And the guy is always tied down to insurance policies from Hollywood. They don't want him getting in the ring, getting injured, stopping production on whatever he's got to do in Hollywood. So why would WWE, you know, after all these years of waiting and waiting and waiting, and you got something like this right now happening in the palm of your hands that is greater than any Rock and Roman match right now because you are in desperate need of replacing Roman Reigns when he inevitably goes with Dwayne to Hollywood. Why would you bypass and wait on something so crucial? And so epic and so right because The Rock is coming back for WrestleMania. Roman and Cody make sense. I don't want to see I don't want to see Cody Rhodes win that championship from anybody else. In fact, I know a lot of people have even said, let's have Seth Rollins win the WWE championship and have Cody beat Seth Rollins for it. No. It's not going to be the same thing. It's not going to be the same vibe. It's not going to have the same feeling. It's not going to have that same emotional attachment as if he wrestles Roman Reigns and takes the title from Roman Reigns. This is a very simple thing to do. We got to start from step one. WWE right now has a undisputed world championship on one man. That is the Universal Championship and the WWE Championship. Right now, Monday Night Raw is without a world champion. How do we get that WWE Championship back on Monday Night Raw and we play into the brand split? Because right now, I don't know if there's a brand split or not, WWE has all these championships tied up into the bloodline and they're booking themselves into a fucking corner each and every week. It's, it's mind-boggling what they're doing. Roman Reigns, what is he doing with the Universal and WWE Championships? Right now, all we know is Matt Riddle's taking a shot at the championship next Friday on SmackDown. Randy Orton's getting a shot more than likely at SummerSlam. Drew McIntyre's already staked claim at the Unified, or it's not Unified, I'll, I'll get to that in a second, the Undisputed World Championship at Clash at the Castle. So we got Riddle, Orton, and McIntyre. I don't know how we do this, but WWE needs to make sense of this immediately. They need to make sense of this immediately. How they do that, I don't know. WWE right now is in a position, and this has been one of my criticisms. WWE right now they're in a position where they have several talent to go up against Roman Reigns. He's looking at a nice slew of competition. Riddle, McIntyre, and Orton, okay? So if we do Clash at the Castle, I would assume that Drew McIntyre is going to beat Roman Reigns, and I think Drew McIntyre is going to win the title at Clash at the Castle in Cardiff, Wales. Now the question is, which title? Which title is Drew McIntyre going to win? WWE needs to get a WWE championship back on Monday Night Raw. They gave Roman Reigns a fucking easy schedule. They gave him the Brock Lesnar treatment. And I don't really understand why 
They put all their eggs into the bloodline basket and gave him and the Usos these championships when they've proactively done nothing but hurt Monday and Friday night. I don't understand it. They had him win the title from Brock Lesnar, and everybody was complaining that Brock Lesnar is a part-time guy. So what they pretty much done is signed Roman Reigns after winning the WWE title, putting both titles on him. He was a full-time guy before WrestleMania. He signed a re-upped contract, a renewed contract. They gave him less dates. So they basically gave the world championship to Roman Reigns only to turn him into Brock Lesnar while Brock Lesnar's not there. I don't see that as proactively making the fucking shows and the company better. In fact, Roman Reigns hijacking the championships is making the shows worse. If he's the world champion, he should be on fucking TV. With Cody Rhodes going down with injury, Roman Reigns needs to be on TV, no matter what the fucking contract says. Monday Night Raw is without a world champion, and now they are without Cody Rhodes. So what exactly is at the top of that fucking show? Nothing. How do we get the WWE title back on Monday Night Raw? Drew McIntyre is challenging Roman Reigns in Cardiff, Wales. I clash at the castle. If I'm Roman Reigns, and this is easy for WWE to do, whether they do it or not, I don't know. Roman Reigns, he had to wrestle twice to win both championships. He won the Universal Championship when he won it, right? Never lost it. He beat Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt for it, held it ever since. That's one match. He showed up. He went in there, did what he had to do, and he won the championship. He then wrestled Brock Lesnar to win the WWE Championship. Roman Reigns didn't win these championships in one match. He didn't win both championships in one match. He won both titles in two separate matches. If I'm Roman Reigns, and I am a smart champion, I need to bring this to the conversation. I need to bring this to the discussion. Drew McIntyre can't really go out there and say, I want to challenge you for the undisputed universal WWE championship. No, 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 no. You're going to take the same road, or I'm going to take the same road and apply it to you. You need to beat me for one championship. I'm not putting both of my championships on the line against Drew McIntyre. Why would any champion want to do that? Roman Reigns, why would Roman Reigns want to lose both championships in one match? He has two titles. That doesn't mean he has to defend both titles. They're not unified. WWE doesn't go around calling it the Unified Universal Championship. They go around calling it the Undisputed Universal WWE Heavyweight Championship. Roman Reigns needs to put the Universal title on the line, and he needs to drop that title to Drew McIntyre. He then needs to take the WWE title over to Monday Night Raw because at that point when he drops it to Drew McIntyre, he will have exhausted all of his major feuds on Friday night. At that point, there is absolutely nobody left for him on Friday night. So he takes the WWE title over to Monday Night Raw, and that's where we're going to get the winner of the money in the bank, which will be Seth Rollins, and you put Roman on Monday night. I know Fox is probably going to have a fucking conniption fit. They're probably going to be fucking crying a river of tears like a fucking little baby fox, right? They got to get everything they want. You got a universal champion in Drew McIntyre, and you move Roman Reigns over to Monday Night Raw. Roman Reigns, he'll have competition for the WWE title in Seth Rollins. 
He'll have competition for the WWE title in Edge. He'll have competition for the WWE Championship in Bobby Lashley. That should be more than enough to get Roman Reigns through the end of the year. And when Cody Rhodes gets back, he'll win the Royal Rumble. And we start building Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 39 for the WWE Championship. Cody Rhodes needs to win the WWE Championship, not the Universal Championship. It needs to be the WWE Championship. So WWE, there are ways to go about this. They're not unified. The titles are not unified. I don't want to hear that they're fucking unified. They're not unified. Unified means one title. They're not unified. The WWE has not unified the fucking world championship. They have Roman Reigns coming out with a blue belt and a WWE championship. They're not fucking unified. They are two separate titles. And we're still operating under a brand split, which means to me that WWE is not moving away from the two separate brands and ending the brand split. So that's their way out. Roman Reigns would be fucking stupid to defend both championships because he's carrying two titles out every fucking week. The Universal title is one title, and the WWE title is another title. They are separate titles. If you're calling them unified, you're insulting my fucking intelligence, and WWE calling them unified is insulting their audience intelligence. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. Roman Reigns... For anybody that thinks that, if you think Roman Reigns is losing the titles to Drew McIntyre and ending this run, you got another thing fucking coming, man. We didn't get all this fucking way for Roman Reigns to drop the WWE and Universal titles to Drew McIntyre in one fucking shot. Give me a break. That would be fucking creative suicide. Why would you do that? That is the dumbest fucking thing that I heard all night. Drew McIntyre is going to win the Universal Championship. That is it. If you are Roman Reigns, why are you defending both championships? You won both championships in separate matches. Why would you go out there and defend both championships and lose both championships in one shot and not defend only one, being that if you lose, you still have the other to look upon and have on your shoulder? Give me a break. Come on, man. This is too easy. This is too fucking easy, man. Bruce, pay me. Pay me, bro. I know you're out with a fucking torn rotator cuff, bro. Pay me. Seriously. Edge, Rollins, and Bobby Lashley on Monday night. You got Riddle, Orton, and Drew McIntyre on Friday night. It sells itself. Everybody wants to talk about Roman Reigns not having competition. I just named you six fucking guys on both Monday and Friday night. The problem is he's the world champion and he's not making TV appearances. That's the fucking problem. This is too easy, man. Too easy. Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns is the match. I don't want to hear anything about fucking Dwayne. Nobody wants to see that shit. You got Cody Rhodes now. This injury, everybody's looking at this Cody Rhodes injury as, oh my God, what are they going to do? The fuck you mean, what are they going to do? I just booked this shit with no fucking pens and papers in front of me. All off the top of my head, man. What the fuck you think I'd do all day before I hop, before I hop on here live? What do you think I do? Come on, man. This is not rocket science. Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns is the way to go for WrestleMania. Dwayne and Roman can happen in the following year at WrestleMania 40. Nice round number for Dwayne and Roman Reigns. And then they could go both right off into the sunset 
for uh, Hollywood. That's all they got to do. Come on, man. Roman Reigns. Why he was pulled from Money in the Bank. WWE's thought process behind uh, AJ Styles is another one. AJ Styles. He could be factored into the Roman Reigns title run if they want. They could give him another title opportunity. Come on, man. There is competition for Roman Reigns. Now, WWE's thought process, I'm pulling Roman Reigns from the upcoming Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Fightful Select is reporting that WWE representatives said that Reigns missing the event was always a possibility after his new contract included a reduced schedule because the company feels the Money in the Bank ladder matches themselves can sell the show. No, that's not what was, that not, that's not what was originally reported. WWE made it seem like, oh yeah, Roman Reigns, uh, he's going to take a reduced house show schedule in smaller markets, and Roman's not going to really be advertising those smaller markets while we're on the road. But he's still going to make TV appearances, and he's still going to make pay-per-view appearances. Don't you worry. And WWE clearly has to backtrack And now his new contract is Brock Lesnar-esque and included a reduced schedule. And now the company feels like they don't need Roman Reigns on Money in the Bank because they're not in Allegiant Stadium anymore and they don't need to sell a WWE Championship match with Matt Riddle. So WWE already moved this show to the MGM Grand in the more uh, (laughs) intimate setting, right? Little word for it, WWE saying, hey, uh, we failed. We uh, couldn't sell out the Allegiant Stadium, so... We're, uh, we're over here in the more uh, <laughs> intimate setting in the MGM Grand. So their mentality is these Money in the Bank ladder matches are going to sell themselves. That's great. But WWE, if you guys want a detailed look on what the card is going to be, man, WWE's charging premium tickets, premium money for these tickets. To go watch this show, 4th of July weekend, man. You think traveling out to Las Vegas during 4th of July weekend is a cheap fucking expense? My goodness, man. Have you seen the fucking flights and the prices for airlines 4th of July week? I thought it was bad for double or nothing. That's why I didn't go. Look at the prices for Las Vegas. Money in the bank weekend, man. WWE, with this card, they got it. They got another thing fucking coming, man. They should be shameful. WWE's Money in the Bank pay-per-view is looking like this right now. You got Bianca Belair versus Rhea Ripley for the Raw Women's Championship. The annual men's and women's Money in the Bank ladder matches, they will also be on the show, obviously the staple of the show. Two winners earning themselves a one-time championship opportunity whenever they wish at any point over the next year. In the latest edition of the Wrestling Observer, Melcher listed the other potential matches for Money in the Bank. Usos versus the Street Profits. Obviously, we saw the Usos uh, lose via countout in a championship contender match, which would, I guess, at that point, net the Street Profits a championship match. So that's probably going to be happening for the uh, Monday night and Friday night tag team championships. Meltzer also noted that Austin Theory will be defending the United States Championship against Bobby Lashley. WWE had Bobby Lashley at Hell in a Cell on Sunday night. Roam around the ringside after he took a replica championship belt from a fan in attendance front row, claiming that he wants the WWE title back. I just booked Bobby Lashley versus Roman Reigns for the WWE championship after he drops that title to Drew McIntyre, the universal title, that is, to Drew McIntyre in Cardiff, Wales at Clash of the Castle. So Bobby Lashley versus Roman Reigns should be a shoe-in right there if you want to do that. Don't know why you wouldn't. Everybody looking for competition for Roman Reigns, it's right there. 
Theory versus Bobby Lashley could be another staple in Austin Theory being built up before SummerSlam, before WWE brings in John Cena to inevitably put him over. It's not how I would go about John Cena, but I've already discussed that. We also have the... What's going What else is going on here? Let me see my notes. I, I kind of messed up my notes here. We got uh, Bobby Lashley versus Theory, and Roman Reigns off the show. Usos versus Shinsuke Nakamura, and Riddle was supposed to be the planned match for the Undisputed Tag Team Championships, but this match took place on last week's SmackDown. Uh, Riddle's tag team partner, Randy Orton, was also written off television. We'll probably see him sometime after Reigns beats Riddle on Friday Night SmackDown. So right now, that's all we got. That's all we got. Austin Theory versus Bobby Lashley. We got the Street Profits versus the Usos, the two Money in the Bank ladder matches, and Bianca Belair versus Rhea Ripley. So the SmackDown title, I don't know what's going on with that. We got Natalia, I guess, versus uh, Ronda Rousey, right? Nobody gives a shit about that. Goes to show you how much I know about the fucking card, being that I left that off. Nobody wants to see that. What about the, I would say, Edge maybe? Edge versus Finn Balor? I don't know if they're going to go and do that. And go that route. They might have written Edge off TV for the time being. I don't know. But the, the card that I ran down for you is not really worth all that money that you'd spend to go out there, get a hotel, spend the weekend in Las Vegas, then pay money to see that. You know, without Roman Reigns at the top of the card and without Cody Rhodes at the top of the card, the WWE shows look incredibly fucking thin. They look incredibly dull. There's nothing of importance on this show. And the Money in the Bank contract, ladder matches, man, WWE hasn't really done a great job with them over the last couple of years. So why would anybody believe that they hold any sort of prestige or importance when WWE has wasted away the contracts over the last several years? They haven't even treated it as a big deal. This is another one of these fucking half-assed builds, half-assed pay-per-views that WWE seemingly doesn't want to put any work in because they already have your money. They already sold out the MGM Grand. They don't fucking care. Show looks very, very, and I mean this, mid. Moving on. Bray Wyatt. We got news on Bray Wyatt and specific reasons why WWE fired Bray Wyatt. This should be fucking interesting, man. Many fans, obviously, needless to say, were uh, not surprised well, many of them were surprised. I, I mean, I wasn't surprised. You're seeing who is in charge over there. <laughs> Nick Khan, man. Firing Bray Wyatt. He was booked as a top guy. Big merchandise money. And he was making a hefty contract. Over time, there have been multiple reports regarding why he was let go, including the company having issues with his weight and him being difficult to work with. Wyatt he reacted to a report that he was hard to work with and deserved to be let go. So he also referenced John Laurinaitis and Bruce Pritchard as being the sources. Wyatt also reportedly had issues with WWE management over his burned fiend suit that was created for him once he was set on fire by Randy Orton. Now, this happened this week with Dave Meltzer on Wrestling Observer Live. Dave Meltzer discussed Edge no longer being a part of the Judgment Day group because WWE wants to make it supernatural, and he was not on board with it. This led to a conversation about the last time a supernatural gimmick was over 
in a big way. Meltzer named Bray Wyatt and then brought up the circumstances for Wyatt's release as noted that there were specific reasons for him to be let go that weren't about him being over or his fiend character. He says, and I quote, you can make the argument for Bray Wyatt becoming a big star and he absolutely was a huge merchandise seller. You can also make the argument that he was not a success and I know there are people who are in the know there have made the argument, oh, he was one of the most over guys in the company. He sold a lot of merchandise. He was fired for reasons having nothing to do with being over or not over. And he was not fired having to do with his gimmick. He was fired having to do with things that I probably shouldn't talk about. So I'm not going to start a can of worms. It's got nothing to do with that. He also had health issues as far as being kept out of action and everything like that. Meltzer also noted, and this is the most interesting part of what Meltzer said, which at this point he said nothing. I already told you why Bray Wyatt was fired. Meltzer noted WWE booked Wyatt against opponents who would get destroyed by him and had to be rebuilt. There was an argument that Bray and his character did more harm than good, other than the fact that he sold a lot of merchandise. They obviously felt pretty highly of him considering they signed him to a contract for almost $4 million a year. I think he was the third highest paid in the company. After Wyatt teased being ready to return to wrestling last month, he also changed his Twitter name to Wyatt6. There has been speculation this past weekend that he could have returned at Hell in a Cell, which did lead to an increase in ticket sales on the secondary market for the Hell in a Cell show on Sunday. That clearly did not happen. As Wyatt was booked for an autograph signing on Sunday afternoon for Legends of the Ring, he was also booked again in Woodbridge, New Jersey, yesterday on Saturday afternoon. I find it funny how Meltzer's sources, or or, or whoever he goes for, goes to for news, said that the Bray Wyatt character did more harm than good. Now, why is that? Is Bray booking himself? Did Bray Wyatt book himself in all of the situations that happened on TV? Did Bray Wyatt book himself inside Hell in a Cell against Seth Rollins? Like, who who, who put that match together? Certainly wasn't Seth Rollins. Certainly wasn't Bray Wyatt. WWE is out there wanting you to believe. This is the fucked up part. WWE is out there wanting you to believe that Bray Wyatt And his fiend character did more harm than good, seemingly turning Seth Rollins from a babyface to a heel. I find that to be utterly hilarious. And I'm not even fucking laughing. It's hilarious in the most ridiculous fucking way possible, where I look across the fucking bar and say, what the fuck are you talking about? Are you serious? Does nobody in that company like to take fault for what they did? Seth Rollins was already done before he even walked in there with the fucking Fiend. The Fiend was booked with Seth Rollins inside Hell in a Cell that year in one of the worst Hell in a Cell matches of all time, and that was pretty much the fucking dirt being poured on the casket. Seth Rollins was already a dead man walking with the way you booked his babyface character. WWE does not want to take anything upon themselves as far as blame is concerned. 
You made Rollins into a sniveling fucking pussy as a babyface. Somebody that the fans wanted to cheer and get behind into somebody that the fans did not want to see because they didn't believe in him as a babyface champion at all. He was booked in the worst way possible out of any babyface I've seen in recent years. Yet you want to sit there and tell me that Bright Wyatt ended the fucking Seth Rollins babyface run? What the fuck did you watch that I apparently missed? Why is Bray Wyatt even getting a world championship match against Seth Rollins at that point anyway when the man was already debuting one month before that and this man debuted with the gimmick that was so hot that it should have been built up for months before he even got a world championship match? You automatically put this guy on TV and then put him in a world championship match knowing he could not fucking lose. Yeah, Bray Wyatt is to blame for why Seth Rollins' babyface run was fucking finished. I heard some crazy shit in the past, folks. I have. But that may be the most... If you truly believe that Bray Wyatt's gimmick did more harm than good, you're a complete and utter fucking retard. That's... I hate using that word. I have to. Because it's the only way for me to accentuate my fucking disdain for this fucking storyline, man. Bray Wyatt... And his Fiend character did more harm than good. Are you serious? WWE creative does more harm than good. Not Wyndham. Not fucking Firefly Funhouse Bray. Not Fiend Bray. Are you serious? And then when WWE gave him the world championship in Saudi Arabia, it was only a consolation prize for the fucking stupidity that they booked themselves in. They should have had him win the championship inside Hell in a Cell. But they waited and did what they did, making these two guys fucking look absolutely terrible coming out of that thing, only to give us the outcome that they gave us that they should have given us inside Hell in a Cell. And then he holds the title through November, December, January, and then February. And according to my fucking statistics, Bray Wyatt still may be buried out in Saudi Arabia after he got buried by Bill Goldberg. So then he comes back. He has the Firefly Funhouse match with John Cena. He then goes into the pandemic, and we get Braun Strowman. Four months of Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt on Friday Night SmackDown. Oh, my fucking God. No, but Bray Wyatt did more harm than good. Four fucking matches with Braun Strowman. One of which, they had to revert Bray Wyatt back to being the eater of worlds. Swamp Wyatt. Because they ran out of fucking ideas. And then he won the WWE Universal title on to drop it to Roman Reigns in a match that Roman Reigns wasn't even fucking advertised in. Well, he was advertised, and he didn't show up until the end of the fucking match. It was a triple threat match that they advertised, and Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt wrestled a one-on-one match until Roman Reigns made his... Unbelievable, remarkable comeback in 90 seconds and beat Bray Wyatt for the WWE Universal. Yeah, yeah, but Bray Wyatt did more harm than fucking good, right? Give me a fucking break. This shit is fucking garbage, man. If I feel bad for anybody, it's fucking Bray. Why did Bray Wyatt get fired? Bray Wyatt got fired because he saw his creation go up in fucking flames just like his fucking burned fiend character. That was his fucking creation. Burned to the ground by Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard. 
Why did he get fired? Because he knew what they were doing creatively was a complete fucking disaster. He spoke up about it. They blamed him for his weight. They blamed him for being depressed and having mental health issues. Anybody working for Vince McMahon in WWE is going to have mental fucking health issues. He got fired because he spoke up about his creation being destroyed. And clearly that's a no-no because Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard know better than anybody. Fuck Bray Wyatt for having creative fucking say over what he wants to do. It's a big no-no here. That's why Tony Storm said it's the land of no. Only those that are appointed to sit in on those meetings get anything close to a yes. This shit sucks. Shit is fucking garbage, man. Stephanie McMahon. Keeping on with the fucking bullshits inside WWE. Key people in WWE were reportedly burying Stephanie McMahon on her way out. We start finally seeing the pieces to this puzzle all come into play. Finally, we're seeing this puzzle being put together, man. The big news coming out of this week's Business Insider. This is a national publication talking about WWE. There was a story on Vince McMahon making the decision to replace Stephanie McMahon's job and her duties. The story states that WWE is looking to achieve what UFC has done, and they want to bring in hundreds of millions of dollars in sponsorship revenue. The story adds that Stephanie McMahon was not achieving these goals. In a post on the Wrestling Observer message boards, Dave Meltzer stated that it was 100% her decision to take a leave of absence from WWE, but there are top people in the company who have been burying her publicly on the way out. Meltzer wrote, and I quote, her leaving was 100% her choice. She had been talking about this with close friends from when Paul had heart issues. That said, key people in the company, once she was gone, did want to bury her on the way out. That shocked a lot of people, including myself and those close to her. When I noted to someone very high in the food chain about the burial starting, they told me that if they did that publicly, it would be career suicide, only to find out that they had already started the burial and it was coming from the top. Meltzer added, here is a much bigger story. The company outright wanted to bury her here. Something happened after she left, clearly. The company did a total 180 on her about two weeks after she left. They never did that for George Barrios and Michelle Wilson, who were basically the right-hand people of Vince McMahon inside WWE corporate. Last week on a special We're Live Pal with Andrew Zarian, Andrew Zarian spoke about a conversation he had with someone high up in the WWE, and he was shocked at what was said about her abilities as an executive. Zarian said the comments was that internally, there was doubt put on Steph and her abilities as an executive. And a lot of this started after she absorbed some of Michelle Wilson's responsibilities after she left. One responsibility was being ad sales and sponsorship. And the comment that I found interesting was that they mentioned that the investors were questioning why they weren't performing as well. And internally, there were some questioning as to why that wasn't performing. I think a month ago, WWE's head of global sales and partnerships, Claudine Lillian, I believe that's her name, 
She went over to handle that, and she was released a month ago, and Nick Khan absorbed all of these responsibilities. When Shane and that issue happened at the Royal Rumble, WWE was pretty quick to say, yeah, he got sent home for all the reasons you heard. I was not expecting the words to be used for Steph because at the end of the day, the McMahons are the McMahons and they are the most protected people in that company. So with Stephanie as an executive in this role of hers, she was not where she needed to be as far as getting ad sales and sponsorship revenue into the company. I I believe the Business Insider story said that WWE wanted to do something along the lines of UFC and what UFC does and achieve what UFC has done. And they want to bring in hundreds of millions of dollars in sponsorship revenue. Stephen McMahon was not achieving those goals. So clearly it's Vince and Nick Khan making these types of decisions. You're not going to remove Stephen McMahon from that position unless you're one of those two individuals. So if I'm Vince McMahon, and I'm the CEO of WWE, and I see, no matter who it is, if it's somebody that's not within the family and blood, or if it's my own daughter, or anybody in my own family, I don't necessarily blame Vince McMahon for that. If Vince McMahon outwardly wanted to remove Stephanie McMahon because she wasn't, she wasn't doing what she needed to do in her position to bring in hundreds of millions of dollars in sponsorship revenue to the WWE. She wasn't performing the way that she needed to to help the company financially. I don't blame Vince McMahon for getting rid of her. But then the news about people bad-mouthing her and she won all these different awards for the type of leadership role that she was in within the WWE. All, these, all you heard about what was all these different awards that Stephanie McMahon won and what she was heralded for, and she's pretty much the face of the business side of WWE. She was always out there doing PRs and fucking speeches and all this other shit. All you saw was Stephanie McMahon. If she wasn't performing, I don't blame Vince McMahon for removing his own daughter, no matter who it is. But at the end of the day, people were bad-mouthing her, and Vince allowed all of that to be said about his daughter. The Business Insider, which is a publication, obviously knows what's happening here and what the basis of the argument here is and what the basis of the story is here, so much that they fucking went out and published a goddamn story on it. How do they get the story? How do they get the story? Somebody from the top, somebody within the know, that worked either alongside Stephanie McMahon or Stephanie McMahon's team, Somebody in Stephanie's family, could have been Vincent himself, it could have been Nick Khan himself, we don't know, supplied Business Insider with the story, and they wanted it out there to badmouth the company. Now, if it wasn't Vince and it wasn't Nick Khan, it was clearly somebody with fucking power in the company, and everything that this company does when it comes to a financial decision, especially if it's going to be a black eye on the company, is in the know, and Vince McMahon is in the know. So he fired his own daughter, and I don't blame him for that. But then he proactively knew that Stephanie McMahon was being badmouthed and allowed all of these people to badmouth and business inside to publish a story, pretty much throwing Stephanie McMahon under the bus. So he was doing the right thing on one hand and being a fucking asshole on the other. I don't understand it. This is, this is amazing to me, man. Never in my life. 
watching WWE and, and doing the WWE thing, being ingrained in the WWE product, listening to all the news and the rumors and the innuendos and what's happening inside and outside the ring. Never in my life would I have realized and come to this year where both McMahon children, Shane and Stephanie McMahon, were actively removed from the company from all executive power. Triple H, look at Triple H. He married into the fucking family. Triple H was the heir apparent of Vince McMahon. He has a fucking heart attack. His power is stripped. His brand and everything he did for 10 years to build the future of this company for decades to come was demolished because of one reason or another. Now he's in the office pushing fucking pencils and making sure the printer is filled with fucking coloring and getting Bruce's fucking coffee, the good arm, because he's got a torn rotator cuff and he can barely use one of his fucking arms. Poor Bruce. Poor Bruce Pritchard. The McMahon family, from Shane to Triple H to Stephen McMahon, man, all exiled from corporate WWE because Nick Khan is Thanos. Nick Khan. This goes to show you, man, Nick Khan. Nick Khan is absorbing all these fucking powers. Nick Khan has absorbed all of her responsibilities, man. Nick Khan is going to be running the WWE. When Vince is gone, Nick Khan is not going to have a single fucking McMahon to worry about. They will all have been replaced. Gone from the company. Nick Khan is going to be the man in WWE, and I fear for that day. When that day comes, we may not have a WWE that is even recognizable at that point anymore, man. We might not even recognize World Wrestling Entertainment when Vince is gone and Nick Khan completely takes over power because you know beyond the shadow of a fucking doubt that he is doing it. Moving on, man. We're going to start talking about the MJF situation. Let me check what's going on in the chat. I appreciate you guys very much for hanging out tonight, man. Holy shit. Even with the air conditioner on, man, it is fucking hot in here, man. We got 2,000 large in the venue. I appreciate you guys very, very much, man. Hit that thumbs up. I see 780 likes on the live stream, man. Continue to hit that thumbs up. Let's try for 1,000 likes minimum on today's OTS. Continue to get those super chats in. We're going to hang out at the end of the show with our cold beverages. You let me know what you think of all the top stories. And hit that join button, man. We got two new members in the chat. I appreciate you guys very much. Again, shout out to Matthew Miller and Vincent O'Connell for becoming new members inside the OTS venue. Want to thank my sponsor for today's show again, Audible, audibletrial.com slash scripts. If you guys want a free audio book, Moxley's autobiography is hitting Audible on Tuesday, man. You guys can get it for free on me when you use our unique link, audibletrial.com slash scripts. Sign up. You can pre-order it now and download it on Tuesday when it is available. Nine hours. Narrated by Moxley himself, man. That's audibletrial.com slash scripts. MJF. I got more news on MJF, man. MJF did not. Make dynamite on Wednesday. MJF seemingly being erased, quote unquote. I use that term very loosely. Erased from AEW as we see him. 
There was a report this week that people in AEW were close to conducting a wellness check on MJF out of concern for his safety after no showing the meet and greet on Saturday, double or nothing weekend. Now, the initial reaction amongst those in AEW was concerned to the point where they were considering doing a wellness check on MJF after he no-showed a meet-and-greet on Saturday, double-or-nothing weekend. Backstage report on Fightful and Sean Ross Sapp reported the news regarding the wellness check as AEW people were concerned about MJF's safety because he was scheduled to appear and wasn't answering his phone. Sapp said he heard a little bit more about the meet-and-greet from Saturday that he no-showed. There were a couple of people that were involved in that. You absolutely do not work if you're anybody in that company and that Tony Khan would not work. They had genuine concern for MJF safety. We're told at one point there's discussion about having his hotel room kind of busted in to make sure he was safe. There were a couple of wrestlers that had to stay overtime and were not happy at the signing. There were individual sales of the meet and greet that I'm told that were uh, AEW. Um, they were told to keep... On that is about $10,000. So the meet and greets that I'm told were that the AEW keep on that is about $10,000. Probably would have cost them to do this. So the money that they missed out on, $10,000 is a lot of fucking money to play into this entire ordeal with MJF. That's a substantial cost when you're a company like this looking to turn a profit this year. Sap stated, anyone who swears they know 100% what is going on with MJF that is not MJF, Himself or Tony Khan is not being truthful. He added, he's not even sure Khan knows 100% what is going on. Sean Ross Sapp also stated that he knows Cassidy Haynes of Bodyslam.net is working on a report that may come out that's very interesting about a situation that happened with Tony Khan on the night of Double or Nothing. I'm told MJF directly, or I told MJF directly, says Sapp, that I was under the assumption that as of Monday, it was a work. I believe before that it was not, and there were a lot of real issues there, but as of Monday, that's how I felt. I won't say that necessarily denied in that aspect, but there were elements of it that I heard about and was told about that ended up being very accurate, strangely so. I heard from him a couple of times throughout the week, and then not once, when the then the weekend hit, Sap said the one person close to MJF thought they knew it was 100% of work, but by Friday, before double or nothing, they called him and said that they were wrong and wanted to know what Sap knew. And their steadfast belief that everything was a work had evaporated and just went away. And they said, I don't want MJF to have nuclear heat when and if he comes back. Meltzer added this. As the latest update on MJF, there's nothing new on the MJF front this week since his promo. Meltzer added that MJF's AEW contract definitely goes through January 1, 2024. Regarding the decision to remove MJF merchandise, Meltzer explained that AEW is looking at short-term money and this is a long game play and that the company wants people to think legitimately he is gone. It is all a work. Everything that you are see seeing now is all a work. There, there is no reason for anybody to be alarmed and no reason for anybody to believe right now that MJF is, is in bad standing with AEW. There are legitimate gripes there that I'm sure 
he and Tony Khan still have a ways to go to discuss. I'm sure MJF feels slighted with all the WWE guys in there. I'm sure MJF and all the criticisms that he has in regards to himself are legit. But after the squash and after Double or Nothing, the fact that he took a live microphone and said what he said on Wednesday night, that scathing promo, that pipe bomb, the nuki cut, everything was something that was designed to be said on television. MJF did not go out there with a loaded microphone away from Tony Khan. They would have cut him immediately and muted his mic immediately. Everything you are watching is 100% a work. Now, I reported earlier in the week that AEW wrestlers were not happy about MJF's comments. His friends wonder if they were being worked all along. This is coming from Wade Keller. Now, we've heard from Meltzer. We've heard from Sap. We've heard from legitimately everybody in regards to the situation. Keller went on his PW Torch podcast and said this. I know of wrestlers who MJF was saying all the things that he said in that promo to, but in real-life private conversations, that didn't in any way seem to play into a strategy to work the dirt sheets or work Tony Khan or whatever you think the con and the game was. Who are now asking, who is Max? How much of what he was saying was part of his elaborate web to try and create this believable long arc work that would elevate him to higher status that'll give him an even bigger deal and a bigger legendary Andy Kaufman meets Brian Pillman meets CM Punk meets whatever for a WWE deal. Keller continued, there's also wrestlers whose eyebrows were raised on Wednesday that I've heard from and about who are like, oh, we don't make people feel. Is that what Tony's authorizing wrestlers to say on the air? All that stuff that we're doing to our bodies doesn't make people feel. But a guy who in three years has worked 22 matches, on average about seven per year for this company, is getting to go on TV and disparage what we do in a promo that led to fans cheering him because he got sort of a heel on ex-WWE guys. Like there's a bunch of money being spent on external TV guys who are just thrown under the bus on a promo to generate buzz. Even if Tony Khan hasn't lied to anybody's face about this, within hours of that promo, there's people in AEW talking to each other going, what? What's going on here? Were we worked? Whose side is Tony on? Is he the captain of the ship? Did MJF work him? Can we please know what's going on here? And by the way, can you stop throwing us under the bus and making us look bad? Now, Keller's got more to say, which I'll get into in a second. But, but whoever spoke to Keller about this, uh, they have a valid criticism whatsoever. They, they have a valid criticism, definitely have a valid criticism. And the fact that Tony Khan did not fill everybody in on what was going on and have a locker room meeting on what was going on, especially before Wednesday's Dynamite, if he talked to Max, I don't think that should have been done whatsoever for, for AEW's roster and on Tony Khan's side of things. I think that's where he fucked up. But on the other side, and on the other hand, I don't know why people are upset about this because, honestly, if you're this angry over it, and you're this triggered by it, this is exactly the type of reaction that 
everybody who's in on this thing wants. They want you to go out there and be angry. They want you to go out there and feel this frustration. Oh, how could he be allowed to go on TV and say that? Now, clearly, if I'm Tony Khan, I would have sat everybody down and had a locker room fucking meeting. I spoke to Max. The the the, the feeling that Max has is real, and we discussed it. And what we're going to do is we're going to try and take this and turn it into a work and elevate the entire company with this huge fucking storyline that's going to give him the world championship and we're going to have it be against CM Punk and blah, 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 and go over exactly just the basics of the situation. But I could also see on Tony Khan's side why he didn't want anybody to go out there and say anything because if one... Ba- and I, I'm not saying nobody... I'm not saying anybody in the company would do this, but with something this big and the lengths that they've gone through, you don't want to tell anybody. You want everybody to be like this person, whoever spoke to Wade Keller, this frustrated. You want this person to be this angry. You want everybody to be this angry. So on one hand, I get their, their criticisms and I get their problems. But on also this hand, I see Tony Khan and what he's doing as you're getting worked. Now, I don't know where or when Tony Khan has said, you know, I would never work the boys in the back. I wouldn't you know, do that to people here. It's a very open book here. You know, I, I don't know where he said that or where people would would claim that Tony Khan's, maybe he did say that. I have no fucking recollection of him saying that whatsoever. But these things work best in privacy. These things work best in secret. So why would you want to go out there and tell one person, one person may blab to somebody, you know, and, and then it's all over. Yeah, it's a work. You don't want that to be found out by anybody. So I get why Tony Khan is keeping this in secret. And they're really going out there and they're they're playing the game right. They had MJF taken out of the intro. They had his merchandise pulled from Shop AEW. They had him removed off AEW online on, on AEW.com. The roster page does not include MJF anymore. They, they pulled him from Time Warner advertisements. They pulled him from Discovery advertisements, Warner Brothers advertisements. He's no longer a part of them. There was an edict sent down from from Warner Brothers Discovery that they are removing MJF from all advertisements regarding AEW from this point on. Everybody is in on it. And everybody is out there. Oh, is it still a work? Is it going to WWE? Of course it's a work. They have gone and covered all of their bases to a point where MJF stayed in Los Angeles following the fucking show. Because he's doing Hollywood work. He's doing voiceover work in Hollywood and he stayed in Los Angeles. Even that is brilliant because it gives the perception that MJF is staying in Los Angeles and doing what he wants to do. Giving you the vibe that he very well may be leaving AEW. They removed him from all these different aspects of the company and here he is doing Hollywood work. He may find a new outlet for himself and give up pro wrestling. This is a brilliant move. Yes, whoever Wade Keller spoke to, you know, the criticisms are valid. I don't want to, I don't want to see anybody get thrown under the bus. And yes, it does ring true. Having somebody go out there and claim that, you know, he does more in what he does and he makes the fans feel compared to everybody else in the locker room, for this guy to come back and say, feel bad, you know, about, you know, a guy in MJF. Oh my goodness, he worked three years in 22 matches. 
on average, seven matches per year, and he's going to go out there and disparage the rest of the fucking locker room because he feels like he makes the fans feel more than everybody else in the locker room? Just to sort of generate buzz, throw everybody else under the bus, and then end up having the fans cheer him because he got to sort of heal on the WWE guys. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's legitimately fucking crazy, man. So Keller continued. Multiple AEW wrestlers told me, or people that I directly talked to, to even show me screen captures or texts like what the attitude was towards this before Wednesday's Dynamite, which was, it's a work, he's working the dirt sheets, he's working his friends, he's working in work mode, he's always in work mode, uh, he's always in character, you guys are suckers. You know, be smart about how you report this. Keller also said that there are people who felt that they were true friends of MJF, and now that casts some doubt on them, as if they ever were. He said, it's fascinating because the people who are tight with MJF and have heard him say these things are like, there's just no way. This is a work. But there's doubt in their voice. But they are like, there's no way this could have actually been a work all along. I had conversations with them, and I know how they felt. But what I'm privy to, it's hard to reconcile what I know with MJF sitting down with Tony a few months ago going, I got a great plan, and it's going to culminate in Los Angeles, and you don't have anything to worry about. Tony, just say no comment, and we're going to make this a work. So since the promo on Dynamite, MJF, like I said, has pulled MJF from their roster page. They've also pulled his merchandise, and he's been pulled from TV show intros. PW Insider also reported. (coughs) I got a cough all of a sudden. Uh, PW Insider also reported that a source at Warner Brothers Discovery confirmed that an edict was issued to have MJF removed from commercials and promotional spots for AEW programming. Now, there's no word uh, on how long he's going to be out. Uh, The word is that he is currently being edited out of any TBS and TNT spots where he appears in different footage is being used in his place. It was noted that as they make the transition, he may still pop up in some of the newer commercials for the time being. Everybody's feelings got hurt, man. You played right into the MJF fucking grand plan of it all. You played right into the Tony Khan grand plan of it all. I get what this anonymous source told Wade Keller, but at the end of the day, this is only going to bring more eyeballs to AEW, the company that you work for. No matter what was said, sometimes you got to take the low road on things for people to really get the point and get your point across. Yes, I understand people are frustrated, but that's exactly what they want, man. Everything from this point, if you are still trying to figure it out and you are still out there claiming that, oh my God, I don't know what's going on. This is a shoot. This is a work. He's going to WWE. He's not going anywhere. It is June 12th, 2022. We have all of this year and all of next year to go with MJF as a contracted AEW employee. (laughs) I don't know why anybody would think that he's going anywhere and why it's not a work. I don't get it. He even played Jake Roberts. That's how deep this goes. Jake Roberts was upset over MJF's promo. He spoke on his latest podcast, the DDP Snake Pit, with Jake Roberts and DDP. He talked about MJF's controversial promo. He said, it made me sick. It really did. I couldn't believe he no-showed this signing, man. 
It's a big thing with Tony Khan. He loves these signings, and he wants those guys out there. For me, you don't miss something like that. This is your fan base. These people paid to get in there, and you no-showed them. Then you go dark. Nobody can get a hold of you, end quote. I know Jim Cornette had a blast with this one, claiming that Jake Roberts was a fucking hypocrite, and the fact that he's upset that MJF no-showed when Jim Cornette called Jake Roberts the master of the no-show, I find that to be funny. MJF and Tony Khan played everybody so good that you got Jake Roberts, a fucking national treasure, an unbelievable legend in this business, riled up and upset to a point where he said, it made me sick. I love it. I absolutely fucking love it, man. Yes, yes, Spirit Enigma. Friedman's 316 says, I just worked your ass. Indeed he did, and he's continuing to work everybody even after he's been pulled off of television. Moving on with the rest of the show, man. SmackDown results. Gunther, he won the Intercontinental Championship from Rick O'Shea. Nine minutes, Gunther won the IC title. What happens next for Gunther? I have no fucking clue. I have absolutely no idea what happens to Gunther after he won the IC title. There really is nobody on that roster that I'd like to see in there outside of a Drew McIntyre and maybe a Sheamus. There's no competition from now. Now the question is, everybody claiming on social media, oh, oh look at guys like JD get it all wrong. <laughs> no. No, I'm sorry. I, I don't know where I got it wrong. The fact that he's holding a dead title and a dead title that hasn't been defended on pay-per-view since WrestleMania 30 fucking 7. I don't know what your problem is, bro. I don't know what your problem is. Gunther has nobody on that brand to really go out there and make a memorable reign with. Sheamus, maybe. McIntyre, maybe. Another rematch with Ricochet, maybe. Give me a break. He won the IC title, and it's all about the reign that you have not about the fucking days held and lack of competition that I'm assuming Gunther is going to have on Friday night. Drew McIntyre and Sheamus went to a double DQ, Money in the Bank qualifying match. I'm assuming both guys will eventually qualify for Money in the Bank. Uh, there's got to be a major name on the show, and Drew McIntyre is the other major name right now that hasn't been pulled off TV for a storyline purpose or uh, not named Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes. So McIntyre will be at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, and I'm assuming both he and Sheamus will be qualifying for the money in the bank. Lacey Evans uh, sleepily got us, I guess, a match with Zia Lee, got herself involved with the money in the bank ladder match. She uh, qualified against Zia Lee. Ronda Rousey, Drowsy, defeated Shotzi, and Riddle defeated Sami Zayn to get himself a title match against Roman Reigns on Friday's SmackDown this coming Friday. SmackDown's ready for the go-home show for the Hell in a Cell. They averaged 1.939 million viewers, which was up from one week prior at 1.878. The 18 to 49 demo, the show did a 0.47, down from a 0.43 just a week ago. Uh, Vince McMahon is very high on Gunther and the in-ring work of Gunther. Go figure. Wow. Well, they they got an eye for talent, does Vince McMahon or Bruce Pritchard, huh? He impressed many people of influence in the WWE, according to Fightful Select. The former NXT UK champion has has had plenty of supporters dating back to his time in NXT due to his size and in-ring work. Per the report, many things have put him in favor with WWE officials, including his move to the United States and his dedication to his diet and training. 
As previously reported, Gunther lost weight prior to his main roster arrival because Vince McMahon wants slim people on t- TV. From the time he was sent to the United States full-time, it was always planned that he would go to the main roster, and according to Fightful, uh, Gunther's willingness to play ball and make the best out of his move as well as lifestyle and ring name changes have made great impressions. So Vince McMahon also has rather enjoyed Gunther's in-ring work based on what he's seen of it on Friday Night Smack. I mean, what's not to like? What's not to like? Um, I don't know what had happened there, guys. Uh, You're saying that I had disappeared somewhere into the void. What had happened? I don't know. It's a YouTube thing. OBS is looking good on my end, so I don't know what had happened. Yeah, everybody's like, oh, my God, where'd I go? Where'd I go? Just refresh the fucking stream, guys. Uh, I don't know what there is uh, not to like about Gunther. He's big. He is uh, overly intimidating. He's one of the best pro wrestlers on the planet. And what, what is there not to like? Like, why, why shouldn't this guy be pushed the way he was pushed in NXT? It would be foolish of them to waste somebody like this. A guy like Gunther Walter is a once-in-a-lifetime fucking guy. You have right now the makings of a legit evil heel on the main roster that plays into the most legit fucking aspect that you could barely fucking create from anybody on the main roster, not named Brock Lesnar. This is a great move. So I'm glad that they're high on Gunther. Now let's get him creatively where he needs to be and get him to a point where he is one of the biggest guys in that company as far as the creative standpoint is concerned. Yes, guys, it was a YouTube thing. It froze about 30 seconds. Yes, it's all YouTube, guys. It's not me. Uh, I have my OBS pulled up here, man. Nothing's going on OBS. I got no dropped frames. I got nothing, man. I'm in the green, so we are good to go. Moving on. WWE is teasing a baby first turn for a top SmackDown guy, and this is something I talked about for uh, a little bit. A couple of weeks ago on the SmackDown live stream, Sami Zayn could be turned into a babyface now that he is probably not going to end up being with the bloodline. So there's a video on WWE social media where Sami Zayn has his first interaction with the bloodline where Zayn alerts them to Drew McIntyre getting friendly with RK-Bro. They also show the KO segment where Kevin Owens tried to talk some sense into Zayn to let him know that Roman Reigns and the Usos are all about themselves and that they don't care about him. During the storyline, Zayn quietly ditched his green military patrol-style outfit and cap last night on SmackDown, or Friday night on SmackDown, I should say. Paul Heyman teased that Sami Zayn would become an honorary member of the bloodline if he was able to beat Matt Riddle, but if Riddle won the match... Uh, it would be pretty much uh, the end of Sami Zayn, and Roman Reigns is not going to take a liking to that, and it would get Matt Riddle championship match against Roman Reigns, which is booked for next week. It's clear that a possible face turn for Sami Zayn is coming, and I pitched a couple weeks ago on Friday when Sami Zayn was on the Kevin Owens show on Friday night that we may be getting Kevin Owens ditching this Elias Ezekiel storyline, and he may be coming to the defense of Sami Zayn and saving him from the bloodline to a point where we get Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens challenging at SummerSlam for the Usos Tag Team Championships. I mean, that sounds like a great deal to me. I think that's a natural progression of things. I like that a lot. I think that's fucking awesome. If WWE could get that done and we can get that at SummerSlam, that could be a major fucking deal. 
And that's something that I'd love to see. Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens going after the tag team championships. That's exactly what I want. Now, the brand split's still in place and it's still in effect, but WWE is lacking tag teams. I have no problem with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens teaming up, and it makes sense. They played into this storyline with Kevin Owens and him pretty much showing up on SmackDown just out of nowhere, and they got into an argument and claimed that, listen, Kevin Owens said the bloodline doesn't care about you. The bloodline doesn't give a shit about you. Sami Zayn wanted to believe that they did, and he will find out the hard way that they don't, and Kevin Owens is going to come to his rescue, and they will pick a fight with the Usos, and that will be one of Roman Reigns' targets going into the summer. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn versus the Usos of the Tag Team Championships at SummerSlam, and it books itself. It books itself. While Roman Reigns challenges Randy Orton for SummerSlam, that's a nice one-two combination of matches right there. So that is what's going to happen, man. We may be getting Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens as a babyface tag team in WWE. Dynamite. We got the world title eliminator battle royal that was won by Kyle O'Reilly. Pack beat Buddy Matthews. He qualifies for the fatal four-way match for the All-Atlantic Championship that they unveiled on Wednesday. Adam Hangman Page defeated David Finlay. Thunder Rosa defeated Marina Shafir. Don't want to talk about it ever again. The match was terrible, and it's not because of Thunder Rosa. And John Moxley defeated Kyle O'Reilly. He will go on to the Forbidden Door and challenge Hiroshi Tanahashi for the AEW Interim World Heavyweight Championship. AEW ratings. The show drew 939,000 viewers this week, down from 969,000 viewers in the 18 to 49 demo. The show did a 0.34 rating, which was down from the 0.40 the show did Last week, the show went up against the NBA Finals that averaged 11 million viewers and did a 3.65 key demo rating on ABC. Last week was the highest total viewership since April 12th and the highest key demo since March 23rd for Dynamite. Dynamite ranked number one in the cable top 150 shows on cable for the night. That was up from a number two ranking. Scorpio Sky, he may be injured. AEW has a handful of injuries right now, and Scorpio Sky could be added to the list. He is sidelined right now, and he's going for an MRI, and he revealed on social media that he aggravated a leg injury during his title defense against Dante Martin on Rampage last week. Sky implied that the injury isn't very serious, but whether he will miss time or not is still not known. He was seen grabbing his right leg several times during his match with Martin, and would subsequently get on Twitter to confirm that the injury right now is legit. I went into last night's match with my knee bothering me, and unfortunately, in the opening minutes, he says, I strained a muscle that goes from my knee up through my groin. My right leg was useless from then on. Despite wrestling in SoCal, felt amazing, even on one leg. Hopefully nothing serious, and I'll be back to defend again soon. So Meltzer reported that he will have an MRI soon. Folks did observe that Sky was moving normally during Dynamite this week, which could be an indication of a lack of seriousness. But AEW uh, right now is going to be cautious because he is the current TNT champion. They don't want to strip another champion and have another interim championship with uh, CM Punk already on the shelf. And add it to Brian Danielson being out. Adam Cole has injury problems right now. You don't want to see someone like Scorpio Sky end up on the DL. Chris Jericho, he missed the Battle Royal this week because he was on family vacation. Melcher talked about this in the latest Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Why wasn't Jericho and other big names in the Battle Royal? Now, while I don't know why Tony Khan didn't include Amiro 
or a, a Wardlow or a Malachi Black or anybody like that in the Battle Royal on Wednesday, he did report that Jericho wasn't in the match, even though he's a big name, wasn't in the match because he had a family vacation that was booked months in advance. So hopefully that eases some of your minds out there as to one of the names that should have been in the Battle Royal but was not. Jericho was on family vacation. NXT results. Josh Briggs defeated Von Wagner. Put the lotion in the basket, Von Wagner. Haven't watched NXT in weeks. Nathan Frazier defeated Santos Escobar. Roxanne Perez won the women's breakout turn by, by, by defeating Tiffany Stratton. Pretty deadly defeated Andre Chase after taking out Bodie Hayward. Alba Fire defeated Tatum Paxley. And Apollo Cruz. Yes, Apollo Cruz catering. He wanted to see what catering was like in NXT. Team with Solo Sokoa as they defeated Carmelo Hayes and Grayson Waller. NXT's ratings were 657,000 on USA Network Tuesday. That was up from the 534,000. Showed today 0.14 in the 18 to 49 demo. That was up from a 0.12 one week ago. And this was the fallout edition from Saturday's In Your House pay-per-view. It ranked number 22 in the top 150 shows on cable for the Knights. So Apollo Crews, he's back in NXT, at least for now. Crews made a surprise appearance on Tuesday night during a segment with Braun Breaker, and he dropped the Nigerian Prince gimmick and accent. Crews says that he left NXT way too soon, and he is back to change history and make history. He also said he plans on making history together one day with Braun Breaker. This is Crews' first major TV appearance since he appeared in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal during WrestleMania weekend. He has been wrestling matches on main event in recent weeks. For those of you wondering, there was no sign of Commander Aziz during this segment, but I did read that Commander Aziz is going to end up joining NXT 2.0 as well. Whether or not he will be paired with Apollo Crews, I don't think so because they dropped the Nigerian Prince gimmick and that wouldn't make real, that wouldn't really make sense for Commander Aziz to be paired with Apollo Crews. Seems like they're getting Braun Breaker ready for the main roster. That's all that this is. Uh, Apollo Crews really isn't going to make a big splash on NXT. It just goes to show you, all this does really is highlight how WWE has dropped the ball on Apollo Crews. The little audience that does end up watching Tuesday night is going to be reaffirmed that Apollo Crews is a great in-ring talent. Apollo Crews is Somebody that WWE dropped the ball on. It could have been something a little bit more on the main roster. That's all that this will do. And they're actively getting Braun Breaker ready for the main roster by having him work with lower-tiered main roster guys like a Dolph Ziggler, a Bobby Roode, and Apollo Crews. Getting those veteran presences on NXT to get him ready and fast-tracked to the main roster. For whenever he loses that championship, whoever it is against, he'll be ready to go when that day comes on the main roster. But Apollo Crews is not going to really bring any more attention to NXT on top of what they've already done on Tuesday night. Monday Night Raw, their ratings for the Hell in a Cell fallout, 1.872 million viewers on the USA Network, which was up from the 1.497 million viewers the show did one week ago. Jesus fucking Christ. The 18 to 49 demo saw the average up of uh, 0.52. That's up from the 0.42 rating the show did one week ago. This was the Hell in a Cell Fallout edition, despite going up against an NHL game that dominated the night. Raw drew its best viewership and key demo since April 11. Last week was the second lowest total viewership in the history of Monday Night Raw on the USA Network, just behind 
the July 5th, 2021 edition. You know, I find it very funny that people still don't look at the year over year over year over year ratings. Where did all the audience go? Go back. I believe that was a, uh, that might have been a Memorial Day episode. The 1.497 million viewers. That had to be a Memorial Day episode. The fact of the matter is, I want you to go back and look at 2015 Memorial Day. In fact, I looked it up. Monday Night Raw did a 3.65 on Memorial Day's episode in 2015. That's all I need to tell you. Where did the fucking audience go? And it's dwindled ever since. If you do not look at those type of analytics and statistics, you're looking at it all wrong. These week by week by week numbers don't mean jack shit. If you're doing a 3.65 in 2015 and you're doing a 1.87 in 2022, where the fuck did all those people go? That's right. They're not watching anymore because your show is utter fucking garbage. Monday Night Raw is a joke. And this past Monday show was terrible. And finally, guys, before we get into the Super Chat, because I know you love Omos. I know you love Omos, man. According to Cage Side Seats, WWE may have come to grips with the idea that Omos isn't quite ready to be a main player on the WWE main roster. I didn't need Cage Side Seats to fucking tell me that news article. If accurate, that could explain why he was moved down the card on this week's Raw and his feud with Lashley has likely finally come to an end. Kane A. Knight of Cage Side Seats suggests that Omos's match at Hell in a Cell happened and in a matter of speaking, happened and was a test for Omos. Now, while there's still a lot of hope in WWE for Omos, which may be dwindling week by week, it might have been determined backstage that he needs a lot more work and that rushing him to the upper part of the card is not the best mood for Omos. Omos lost his handicap match against Bobby Lashley, and while it was MVP that took the actual loss, and WWE tried to save face by having Omos squash Cedric Alexander the next night on Raw, moving him into a program with the Dirty Dogs is a sign that they're pulling back on Omos just a bit. Omos and MVP began working a program with Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode this week. Nobody knows why. It came out of nowhere. It appears that Roode and Ziggler will be babyfaces in the program, and Omos and MVP will work as a tag team Meanwhile, Lashley will move in another direction, more than likely going after the United States champion, Austin Theory. The belief is that putting Omos in more matches with great in-ring workers is the right decision, and if he's in tag team matches, he can pick up more good habits. But the bottom line is, WWE tested the waters with Omos in the upper card for the last few months, and it didn't work at all. We'll see if he can bounce back from what was deemed a failure. Let me tell you something, man. Putting him in a program with Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode is going to have people change the fucking channel, man. It's almost as if they're sabotaging Omos by putting him in the ring with Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode. Nobody gives a fuck. Wasn't it The Undertaker? Wasn't it The Undertaker who claimed that Omos is going to be the next Andre the Giant? <laughs> oh, man. You know, when you got legends like The Undertaker claiming statements like that, man, you lose credibility slowly but surely, man. That will be looked at as a fucking joke for years to come. 
Anyway, guys, that's all I got for you on this episode of OTS, man. Omos is done. Omos is done. I would not be surprised if he gets budget cut by Johnny Laurinaitis when all is said and done. Yes, Taker did say that. Yes, Taker did say that Omos was the next Andre the Giant. Yes. I wish uh, I I did not have to uh, repeat that, but yes, that was said. Anyway, guys, I need 50 likes for 1,000, guys. Can we get 50 likes for 1,000 on today's podcast, man? 1,900 in the venue tonight. Thank you so very much. We got some super chats coming on in. Get them on in. We're going to hang out at the end of the show. We got some memberships as well. Thank you to all that uh, joined the VIP club. And follow me on social media, man, at JD from NY206 on Twitter and Instagram. Let's start at the top, man, with these super chats. Johnny Angel with a 499 super chat. JD, you was just wondering. Do you think women's feet are sexy or is that no? Your cut of tea. I'm reading this comment as it came into me. Do you think women's feet are sexy or is that no? Your cut of tea. And which current female wrestler would you marry? I don't know, man. I'd have to go on a date with one of them first. No, I do not find women's feet sexy. I do not have a foot fetish, okay? And please, Johnny Angel, learn some fucking grammar and proper vocabulary, man, please. If we're going to have you in the venue, man, I'm going to need you to speak some English. Come on. Gavin Deeth with a $10 Australian mic. Super chat. If AW Ring of Honor had a brand split, who would be your top five to go to Ring of Honor Rampage? That's a tough question, man. That really is a tough question. Uh, Brian Cage, Samoa Joe, I'd bring in Cesaro, Jay Lethal. As for a fifth one, man, I don't really know. I don't really know. You know, I, I don't know. Lee Moriarty, maybe. Wheeler Yuta. Not a bad top five there. Joseph Taylor with a $2 Super Chat. Favorite AJ Styles match from WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, and New Japan. Uh, I'm not familiar with his work in TNA. I didn't give a shit. New Japan, I did not watch. I can tell you WWE, my favorite AJ Styles match is the match he had with Brock Lesnar. Either that or John Cena. His feud with John Cena was great. Thank you, Joseph Taylor, for two in Super Chat, man. Uh, Matthew Miller. And Vincent O'Connell, thank you for becoming VIPs in the OTS VIP club, man. What are you guys drinking tonight? Gary the New Man with a $15 super chat. Zack Sabre Jr. called called out Brian Danielson for Forbidden Door. Let me get a best of seven series between these two. Gary, I don't think that's going to happen, man. I think we're going to get a best of one. And I think Brian's going to end up winning. Nate TV with a 499 Super Chat. Would you rather see Roman versus Cody at WrestleMania or Rock versus Roman at WrestleMania? Nate, I answered that question in the video. Cody versus Roman at WrestleMania. Oh my God, it's Rush. 2213, six-month member. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you for the re-up. 
Anthony Olivares with a $5 super chat. Hey, yo. What's up, JD? Had a chance to smoke and talk to the legendary Sabu, and I still can't believe it. That's a pretty uh, epic night there, Anthony Olivares. You got to let me know what was said and what was talked about there, bro. Paul David Elliott with an eight-month eight month membership. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you for the recommitment. Final score, Yankees 18 and Cubs 4. And the Braves have won 11 in a row. Yankees are hot, man. What could I say? John A. with a 199 Super Chat. Did you ever see Kill Bill? If so, did you enjoy? Yes, I did. And no, I did not. Not my cup of tea or like uh, Johnny Angel said, not my cut of tea. Thank you, Johnny Angel. And thank you, John A. for your 199 Super Chat, brother. Mel's Matt Chat with a 15-month membership. Thank you, Mel. It's a long time to be in the OTS VIP club. I want to thank you and Jesse for getting my mind off the death of my mother. She passed away on March 26th this year. From Jesse and I, Mel, thoughts and prayers to you and your family. Jimmy Fingers 19 with a 519 super chat. I see what you did there, Jimmy Fingers. I would rather listen to Denise recite the Bible from front to back on audiobook then listen to another Ronda Drowsy promo or Seth Rollins' laugh. I'd rather listen to Seth Rollins' cackle for fucking one hour straight than listen to anything Denise fucking recites. Holy shit. Shell John. Or Shell John. 199 Super Chat. Sup, JD. Shell. What's going on? Mel's match chat with a $20 super chat. JD, I love you, and I wish I could give you more. I hope you have a Belvedere vodka in stock with ocean spray cranberry juice. Make it a double. And thank you again for taking my mind off the death of my mom. She passed away on 326-2022. Mel, we have all the vodka you want in the venue. I'm not a big vodka guy. I don't drink vodka at all, man. Vodka doesn't really sit well with me. I'm more of a bourbon whiskey type of guy. But yes, we have Belvedere in the venue, and we have cranberry juice. We don't have that shit ocean spray, man. We have organic cranberry juice. It's the only way we go. But I'll make it whatever you want. Reverend Davey Thompson with a $5 super chat. Hey, JD, just bought my off-the-script black and white t-shirt. I will wear it proudly. Shout out to you, brother. Cheers to you, man. Eric Newton with a $10 super chat. Roman should have never won that triple threat match as he never signed the contract for the Universal title until the match was underway, which made the contract void. Yes. I got shit on that by the geeks in the IWC as well, but apparently they don't have a fucking brain to even come up with a logical fucking thought for that one. Yes, I do agree with that. Johnny Angel with the 199 Super Chat. What's your favorite pizza spot? I don't have a favorite pizza spot, man. If I was to choose one, back in the day, man, we used to go to Louie and Ernie's in the Bronx. Right off East Chester Road. Okay? Louie and Ernie's, man. 
They got some pretty good fucking pizza over there at Louie and Ernie's. Loretta's Pizza is right in my grandmother's neck of the woods, too. But Loretta's Pizza, my grandpa always said Loretta's Pizza tastes like fucking cardboard. It's a man who knows his pizza, man. Me Wilson with a 1999 Super Chat. I would not mind seeing Jay White versus Adam Cole on Hangman versus Okada at Forbidden Door. The tag team match idea works. I also know Double or Nothing was long, but at least it was worth going there live instead of money in the bank. Listen, uh, me, Wilson, I would prefer singles matches, to be quite honest with you. If I'm being honest with you, I would prefer singles matches. Uh, I think the tag team match, though, works just because of Jay White, you know, being the world champion. You don't want to put him in a match against Adam Cole knowing that Adam Cole's going to take a loss. But it makes it a little bit more unpredictable if we have a tag team match and we get Hangman teaming with Okada versus Jay White and Adam Cole. And thank you for the $20 Super Chat, man. I appreciate you. Why is everybody talking about two dimes, man? Why is everybody talking about two dimes and Joey Stocks? Did Tony D kick them out of the uh, the Italiano club? What happened? Two dimes from NXT got released. Did he really? NXT star released due to policy issues. Dave Meltzer of Wrestling Observer Newsletter is reporting that NXT star Troy Two Dimes Donovan has been released by the company. Meltzer says that he was released due to a policy issue. The release happened after Saturday Night's live event in Largo, Florida, where Tony D actually got hurt. I don't know the severity of his issue, though. Meltzer wrote, this wasn't a budget cut or career decision, but a policy issue, and he was told he may be brought back in a year. I have no idea, man. He may be brought back in a year. Donovan previously worked on the independent scene before signing with WWE in March. He also appeared on AEW Dark as Cole Carter. No word yet on what the policy issue was that got him released. Yo, man, what happened? What happened here, man? Troy two two dimes Donovan. What happened? Now Joey Stacks got nobody, bro. Tony D's got to go into the family and get somebody to replace two dimes. Thoughts and prayers to two dimes, man. A policy issue. Was it drug? How do we drug related? Nobody, nobody's getting, nobody is getting fired and it's told, yeah, we'll bring it back in a year if it's not a drug issue, man. Probably, probably nailed him for something. I don't know. Tony D's got the uh, connects, man. He'll replace two dimes on Tuesday. MGM Ballin. Thank you for the eight months, brother. Been a rough mental weekend for me too, JD. We just got to keep pushing and be the best version of ourselves. Screw the people that weigh us down. MGM, I'm going to pop open another cold beverage just for you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Joseph Taylor with a $5 Super Chat. The reason Bill Goldberg defeated Bray Wyatt at Super Showdown in 2020, according to Goldberg, Bray was not a big star, and that's why he beat Bray. And fuck Bill Goldberg. 
Two dimes got caught with two dime bags. Yes. Imagine that. Ryoff Wildfire says three dimes is coming to NXT. Neb with a $2 super chat. Thank you, Neb. Keep your head up, JD. We are all here for you, man. Also says AEW kept Brody's cancer secret just as MJF's work. You name it, man. You named it. I think everybody needs to calm down, man. Everybody's getting worked up for no fucking reason. They got the biggest storyline in all of professional wrestling right now, man. What is there not to like? Your boy Light with a $5 super chat. The MGF situation is like a gender reveal. No one knows what is going on until the balloon is popped. And I feel as if they are playing this to perfection. It's exactly what they're doing, man. It's exactly what they're doing, man. Michelle Moran with a $2 super chat. What will happen with AJ now that Balor is healed? It's a good question. I think AJ needs to be built up from the ground up again, and he needs to be made into legit competition when Roman Reigns comes over and defends that WWE title on Monday Night Raw. I laid it out perfect. Rich Gambill with a three-month membership. Thank you, Rich. Thank you for the recommitment to the OTS VIP club. What up, JD and OTS fam? I hope everything, I hope on everything that Nick Conman doesn't take over. It will be worse than what it is already. Sipping on some sake. Now, I didn't know we had sake in the venue, man. I didn't, I didn't order that. Who the fuck's bringing sake into the venue, Jesse? Oh, it goes good with your Japanese uh, f- Asian fusion tacos. All right, right? Yeah. Now, don't order no sake, man. I don't drink that shit. Thank you, Rich Gamble. Uh, Alex Ali with a $5 super chat. Hi, JD. I lost my grandmother this week to leukemia. Thanks for the entertainment. Alex, I'm sorry to hear that, brother. My thoughts and prayers to you, man. Mel lost her mother in March. Alex just lost his grandmother. Thoughts and prayers for everybody, man, in the chat. Jeremy Harris with a $5 super chat. Great job, JD. I wish... It was more podcast like you and BC. Keep up the good work. Cheers. Oh, you wish there were more podcasts like me and BC. Yeah, BC's great, man. BC's awesome. I'd like to go drinking with BC very soon, man. Haven't had that happen in a while. But, uh, yeah. Podcasts nowadays, man, they're very cut and dry. Very, uh, very, very lame. Nobody's real, right? That's why I love what I do, man. Uh, Kairos with a $5 super chat. Hola, JD. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Glad to have caught the stream live. Could I get a... Uh, Beaver Dunn impression. Yes, you can, Kairos. And uh, I hope everybody had a great Puerto Rican Day Parade Day, man. You guys celebrated that today? Hopefully you had a good time today. 
Fidiello with a Canadian $2 super chat. JD, thanks for being the smartest guy in the room. Am I the smartest guy in the room? Yes, I am. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, man. Anybody listening to that Roman Reigns Cody Rhodes segment, man, and how I would book WWE's uh, two titles, man? Come on. You can't deny my fucking greatness, bro. Who's going to come up with that, man? Denise? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Fidiello, thank you so much for the Canadian $2, man. Uh, Jerry Ramey with a $10 super chat. JD, Lad, Spirit. You and I booked a better show than Bruce, and I'm high right now, and we're still better than WWE. Bro, it's not difficult to book a show better than Bruce. Just watch Friday Night SmackDown. And Joey Williams with a $4 Super Chat. Forbidden Door is going to be a four-hour classic. Do you agree? It'll be a great fucking show, man. Uh, If I'm Tony Khan, I'm not overbooking the show, man. Chicago time, it'll be 7 o'clock. I want to be out of there by 10.30. Should be good. How I'm going to get the podcast done the next day, I don't know yet. I'm, I, I have to figure something out. I, I need a good Chicago podcast studio, man. Anybody know uh, Anybody know a good podcast studio in Chicago? That'll have me go live. Video. For the Forbidden Door post show. I don't know. Michael Evans says, why do you hate me, JD? (laughs) I don't know, man. Yeah, Solomonster is better than BC, yes. It's me and it's Solomonster, the community. I'm number one and he's uh, a very distant number two. I love Jason, man. Jason and I are going to be doing commentary for Hog Forbidden Door Weekend. Anyway, guys, I gave you a live stream, man. Listen, man, if you guys seen me before I went live tonight, man, you probably would have thought I was uh, not ready for a live stream, but I I gave you every last bit that I had, man. Seriously, I gave you every last bit of what I had. I was on the couch legitimately sleeping until 745. That was my fucking evening, man. You probably would have never even thought it if I didn't tell you. Just one of those weekends, man. Just tired and out of it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the show today, man. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, Andrew Stevens with a $5 Super Chat. Hi, JD. Are you hosting any meet and greets for Forbidden Door Weekend? I have my tickets, and it's in my hometown. Keep up the great work. Andrew, I'll be announcing a venue for a VIP meetup this week. It's funny that you asked me that, man. I'm looking at uh, a nice whiskey bar. And I'll be able to drink because I'm not going live. Except the post-show scrum. Which is good. So we can share in some whiskey, man. I'll announce that this week, guys. Anyway, I'll see you guys tomorrow night, man. uh, Live for Monday Night Raw. Hopefully I'm in uh, a little bit of of a better mood and I feel a little bit better. Gotta get some rest. But... I'll be live tomorrow night for Monday Night Raw, man. So make sure you guys are here. RSVP, as always. AW Mark 2018, $2 Super Chat. When can we get new emotes? Love you, bro. I don't know, man. I'm going to have to have somebody make me some emotes, man. Yeah, we need some new emotes. I don't know. 
I'll see what I can do about that. Follow me on social media, guys, at JD from NY206. That's Twitter and Instagram. Hit that subscribe button down below. Turn on the bell for all notifications. Make sure you guys uh, go check out all the other videos that you might have missed on the channel. Tons of content right there. Go spawn, Go hit up my sponsor tonight, man. Audible, audibletrial.com slash script. Go get that Moxley book coming out Tuesday. You guys can get it for free. And go get your t-shirts, man. Bonfire.com. Also hit that thumbs up as well. Thank you to all the new members. Thank you for the super chats, guys. I need those guitar emojis in the chat. My VIPs, I need those Mustang emojis in the chat. And I need that music on max. Guys, I'll see you tomorrow night for Monday Night Raw right here on Off The Scripts. I'll see you guys later. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park